Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. InfoWars reporter Owen Schroyer just announced that the FBI has issued a warrant for his arrest because apparently he was standing on the steps during uh, the January 6th riots. This is interesting. BuzzFeed has a report on it, and apparently someone tipped off the the feds, and now he's got to turn himself in on Monday. So we'll go through that story. And uh, at the same time, we have a report from the FBI basically debunking the whole insurrection narrative. They said none of it was planned, no coordination. Trump did not coordinate or plan it. Yet we still see what I think it's like 570 people have been arrested and charged. The charges are pretty intense, but uh, we'll go through all that stuff with that story. And then we've got to talk about these vaccine mandates. In Australia, they have imprisoned a man for eight months because he was organizing a protest. It's draconian. And it's here. And uh, then we got New York. And what New York is doing is shocking. The New York mandate, as you, if, for those of you that have listened to the show for the past week, it's going to require businesses to fire any employee with a, with a disability, barring them from vaccination. This is a, a, a shockingly draconian measure. So we're going to, we'll talk about all that. We're being joined by the Mises guys. Got Dave Smith. Well, do you guys want to just introduce yourselves? I'll just throw it to you guys. Sure, absolutely. I'm Dave Smith, and this is the chair and founder of the Mises Caucus, the great Michael Heiss. Thanks for having me. And I have to, uh, I have to give a shout out. I know he's not here, obviously, but I got to give a shout out today. Is actually Ron Paul's 86th birthday. Oh, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Ron! Ron Paul, we're big fans. We have his picture still taped to the door. I think, don't we? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. So we, on, when it was Christmas, Luke came here, mm-hmm. and he put. Ron Paul on the top of our tree because he's both a star and an angel. That's what Luke said. <laughs> and then with the tree down, Luke just taped Ron Paul to like one of the doors in the house. Mm-hmm. It's been there for almost a year now. Yeah. Can I tell you, man? We're fans. So. Ha- happy birthday to the great Ron Paul. And what I love so much about Ron Paul is just like, you know, you, you I, lo- I know you like to share and it is hilarious and accurate, but that meme of the libertarian ideas and libertarian candidates. But then, <laughs> yeah. even for all the people, like all the, the right-wingers who like will come on this show and other shows and kind of you know be like, well, the libertarians get this wrong and they get this wrong, and then you're like, okay, now do Ron Paul. And you're like, oh yeah, you know what? That guy was right about everything. He was literally, as we're in this country that's on a suicide mission, all the things that are killing the country, Ron Paul was completely right about. The wars, the debt, the currency being destroyed, the, the militarization of the police, the entire war on terrorism. And also, by the way, he was right about COVID and the lockdowns and all of that from day one. People were mocking him when he called the whole thing a hoax and just an excuse for government authoritarianism. You mean the lockdowns a hoax? The lockdowns, yes. Yeah, that yeah. the whole that the whole COVID regime, this whole right. like justification for like all of these draconian measures. To, to so, clarify for draconian YouTube, COVID is serious. You're saying that COVID is a very nasty virus. All of the government mm. responses have been horrendous and stupid and done nothing to mitigate the the virus. But just to to say that that is basically what the Mises Caucus is about is that we represent that wing of libertarianism, the Ron Paul real libertarianism serious not defending dumb woke stuff not defending like silly corporatism and stuff like that the real tradition of mises rothbard and ron paul and you I'll- see jack dorsey tweeted rothbard 
I yes. sure did. Yeah. I sure did, Tim. <laughs> what yes. was that? Don't I don't know. know. I think he's just trying to yet. break my brain and <laughs> confuse anatomy, me. Anatomy of the State, right? Yeah. 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 That's the pamphlet. Uh, Which is, by the way, go read Anatomy of the State if you haven't. It's the, it's the most powerful 60-page essay pamphlet you'll ever read in your life. I thought that was hilarious because all the libertarians were tweeting like, like a, a nuke had dropped. Like <laughs> wo- Jack Dorsey of Twitter, this like woke – he just tweeted program. it. He just tweeted it. Well, from what I hear, he's like gotten real into Bitcoin and stuff, and so oh, maybe yeah. he's going down this rabbit hole. So, Jack, if you're listening, thank you for tweeting that, and stop kicking people off your platform. Yeah, he doesn't own it anymore. That's a problem. He's like six uh, percent or two percent of the company now. So right. that's that's when they start figuring out he, stuff. He's an example of a free market and cap uh, Bitcoin enthusiast technologist that got co-opted by the corporate state because hmm. they took his, they took him, they paid a bunch of money, then they took his company, they bought his company from him. Now they use his face to try and sell the brand. Well, I, I also wouldn't be surprised. I think they, they basically not so implicitly threatened all of the big tech, you know, guys. And that's like, the truth is that if you look back at, at the, the, you know, social media scene in 2015, 2016, as we all remember, it was the wild, wild west. And I mean that as a libertarian, as the highest compliment. Yeah, the oh, wild, yeah. wild west was yeah. the Fun. greatest time in the history of the world. Um, and so you, you remember there were people out there who would just be like, even really bad people who you probably wouldn't want to hear from, but they were just out there advocating their views. No one was getting booted off. It was a completely yeah. free-for-all, free speech zone. And then what happened was, you know, Donald Trump won. And the corporate press needed some narrative as to why this would happen. It couldn't be because Hillary Clinton was just such a transparently awful person. It had to be because of fake news on social media. And they dragged him in front of Congress and basically, mafia style, threatened all of them. Like, what are you going to do to crack down on this fake news? They had a huge influence in creating this censorship environment, which is awful. Well, we'll get into all that stuff, and uh, you know, Ian's chilling, and you've already heard from him. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. Sup, dudes. In 2007, I remember Obama and Ron Paul, very serious to me. I took both serious, but I was afraid Ron Paul was going to be like Darth Vader. I kept getting this weird feeling like this is Darth if, – if he gets into office, he's going to be like Darth Vader. And I didn't know what that meant, but it was like he was going to bring great balance to the force. And what did that mean in modern day? He probably would have repealed the Federal Reserve Act. Yeah. I don't know about that. That would make him Darth Vader. Upset our monetary system. I, I'd imagine Darth Vader, the one being proposing, like, right? I was the a central f- bank for the for the for the Galactic Empire. I was afraid yeah. of him, and I was like, Obama's the hero. I'm going with Obama. Ron Paul makes me afraid, probably because he would have he would have ruptured this this crap system early, rather yeah, than let it get to where it's gotten. I would imagine. Well, yeah, well, see, well I, interesting. But interesting. I think that's the myth. I mean, the, the truth is that Obama is really the one. I mean, it's George W. Bush's fault. But Obama bears so much of the blame for ruining the country because Obama was the one who was voted in as a counter to George W. Bush. Like, the country rejected George W. Bush, so we went, okay, we're going to go all the way over with this very progressive constitutional lawyer, progressive named Barack Hussein Obama. That's how much we hate George W. Bush. And he doubled down on Bush's policies, brought the war in Afghanistan and Iraq to Libya, Somalia, Pakistan, Yemen. um, And that really, coupled with the the record high spending, is what broke the whole system. So whatever fear you have of Ron Paul, Obama's what left us with all of this. We'll we'll, we'll get into all that. We got Lydia pressing buttons. I'm also sitting in the corner. I can already tell it's going to be a great conversation. I'm delighted as ever to have Dave Smith. I'm going to apologize. I'm coming in hot. It's Ron Paul's birthday. (laughs) I'm not even letting intros get out here. Calm calm down. We got this. When um, when Jack tweeted that, I sent it immediately to to Dave and I was like oh my gosh look at this what the heck's going Luke, on Luke tweeted he I was, was like what the fuck 
It's happening. That is, that is how I saw it. Is that you sent it to me, and I went, that's got to be like a fake it's picture. A joke, right? You got hacked. And I clicked on that. I was like, wait, seriously? Yeah, Roth. So thank you to BioTrust. But don't forget, go to TimCast.com, become a member, and help support our fierce and independent journalism. You'll get an ad free experience and access to all of our members' segments. We've got a huge library of members only podcasts from this show. There's, an, there's like a ton. We've got like two episodes with Alan West. We've got Steve Bannon. Really fun stuff. So become a member. Now let's jump in to, oh, oh yeah. Smash the like button. Subscribe to the channel. We got to get through these, these, these intros. Let's talk about this first story real quick. Just because this one was kind of big when it, when it, when it dropped only a couple hours ago. BuzzFeed News reports InfoWars host Owen Schroyer has been charged in the January 6 riots. They say, in a new complaint filed on Friday, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington charged Schroyer with illegally going into a restricted area on the Capitol grounds and disorderly conduct. He's one of the highest profile right wing media personalities to be prosecuted in connection with the insurrection so far. I love that BuzzFeed calls it an insurrection, considering the FBI just came out and said it basically wasn't. But sure, they mentioned that he's based in Texas. He had been photographed on a stage outside the Capitol with Alex Jones. And the FBI said it received an anonymous tip from someone noting other video that appeared to show Schroyer at the top of a set of stairs on the east side of the Capitol. Jones has not been charged. So this is what's what's interesting right now. I mean, it could potentially mean Alex Jones. There's a lot of higher profile people. I bet the FBI was waiting because if they go for the really high profile people, it could be a shock to the system. Hmm. So it looks like they're starting with Owen Schroyer, I suppose. And well, they may start going for other people. And he didn't take any. He didn't even take any selfies. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, in, in there, no selfies. Yeah. yeah. What's the point then? You know, huh. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to live in a society where just anyone can walk up on some steps and not face thirty years in prison. Right. I mean, come on, yeah. we got to clean this up. Thirty? No, I'm just. I 50. hope not. Jeez, oh, <laughs> that's a. Uh, it is. Um, it really is. It's no joke what the state will do when they want to crack down on someone. Like, you know, I was saying this um, back uh, when they had that Chaz thing in Seattle when they were playing this little game and uh, where they did the little one in New York for a little bit, too. And I, I was just saying, I was like, listen, you, you lefties can have your fun building your little thing and then you'll probably abandon it in a few weeks, you know. But don't get it twisted. If the government is letting you do this because it's it suits their agenda right now. If they didn't want you to do this, they will wake you and lose no sleep mm-hmm. over it, okay? So that's what people need to understand, and that's, I think, what a lot of people at January 6th did not understand. They thought, ah, oh, this is funny. I'll go in here. I'll fart on Nancy Pelosi's desk or whatever. Now, the people calling it an insurrection are just, this is laughably stupid, a coup attempt, laughably <laughs> stupid. Um, but it is also really stupid to go in there and think, ha-ha, selfie while I'm farting on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Like, ha-ha, you're going to do 40 years in prison now. You just you, you just went up and slapped in the face the most powerful government in human history. What do you think they do to people? Like, why do you, what do you think? They'll do this to everyone in the Middle East, but they won't mess with you? <laughs> That's why it's important to understand what the nature of government is. Exactly. You know? Like, it's not just some service provider that we, like, change the clothes on, and you might get some left-wing service providing over here and some right-wing service. It's, it's force. Well, that's know? exactly right. right. Michael, exactly right. They, they had this mythology of, like, well, what? This is the people's house. Like I was saying before, no, it's not. It's the war criminal's house. This house don't belong to you. And this isn't even like a like a fringe concept. This is George Washington. George Washington said the government was forced. This is this was uh, there's something. Uh, what was I saying earlier? I was saying something like the the way they view this country. I was, I was talking about Afghanistan. The way that the establishment views this country is not as a nation on founding principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and a bill of rights. It's 
this is where we can test weapons and then run our companies to go and extort other countries and invade. And so we as Americans, a lot um, and, and even many like traditional Democrats, I don't know about today, it's getting kind of crazy out there. But up on like when, when the Afghan war started, you had Democrats and Republicans who mostly view this country as the history of the founding fathers and World War Two and civil rights. But the people running these companies, they don't see this country that way. They don't know. They don't care. They're like, this is just our hub for militarism. And mm-hmm. then they, they, they run their companies here and they go to other places and do their thing. But there's something interesting in that, uh, you know, just downstairs we were talking, I've got these, these Utah goldback things I bought off the internet. Yeah. They're like, it's like a gold foil, you know, one one thousandth of a, a ounce. And, uh, one, one of, one of our uh, friends mentioned that the constitution says that gold and silver are the only currency. Is that, is that true? Yes. Yes. And they've never amended that. Yes. And also that the, that states can, um, make legal tender that is gold and silver, but nothing else. Pretty, but yes, that's right. That, pretty that, sure it defines it as an actual measure of uh, a certain amount of grains of gold or something. Well, yeah, I don't know if that's actually in the Constitution, but that was common parlance at the time was mm-hmm. that, yes, that's what a dollar meant. Um, but yeah, the, the Constitution absolutely defines legal tender as gold and silver. And that never changed. Oh, yeah. Article 1, Section 10. No state shall coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver a tender in payment of debts. That means that the only constitutionally valid uh, forms of money are gold and silver. Oh, they're debunking it. They're saying it's a myth. Mm. Is that a myth? Anything, states- anything that restrains government is a myth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's certainly, I'm sure, like with everything in the Constitution, there'll, there'll be people who interpret it in different ways. Um, but look, Richard Nixon, when he took us off the gold standard in uh, 71, he said it was a temporary measure. He said he had temporarily closed the convertibility from dollars into gold, which was the ultimate default and violation of a contractual agreement between the world. I mean, that we were on, we were on an agreement in the Bretton Woods agreement that dollars were essentially notes. They still say notes on them, that they were yeah. notes that you were represented, you were holding gold. And just like most temporary government programs, it's uh should end any day now. <laughs> do you, do you want to break down the Bretton Woods agreement? What, what that was? Sure. So the well, the Bretton Woods Agreement was right coming out of World War II. Basically, all the other industrial powers had been destroyed, and and the United States had the vast majority of the gold reserves. And so we basically made a deal with the rest of the nations that if they took our dollars as their reserve currency, then we would we would back our dollars up by gold at thirty five dollars an ounce. And so basically, they were on a gold standard because they were on a dollar standard. And then in the sixties, uh, we really started cheating. You know, we, we fought the war in Vietnam. We put a man on the moon. We launched the entitlement state. We were spending like crazy. And they called our bluff. And they said, okay, no, nah, I don't think you have this much gold. We're going to turn in our dollars for gold. And then Nixon said, oh, no, we're suspending the convertibility. Because <laughs> uh, they called our bluff because we cheated. We were, we, we were acting like a bank. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like and the worst type of bank. Right. Huh. Like a reckless bank. Didn't actually have the money. And then, you know, it's funny because then we go off the gold standard in, in 1971 and it's officially fiat currency bill. Even though, like I said, we were cheating already in the 60s, right? But we go off the gold standard in the early 70s. And sometimes even really good progressives like Bernie Sanders, well, you know, and good progressives will say things <laughs> where they'll be like, you know, like the, the average wages have been so stagnant since right about the 70s. And the rich have been getting so much richer since right about the 70s. And, you know, the cost of everything has gotten out of control since right about the 70s. And you know what happened? Greed. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, like they never have an standing. answer for, for what it is. But what happened is that we, we removed any restraints from the government 
to print as much money as they want. And this is where you've seen the true rise of gigantic government, endless wars, corporate bailouts, and also Wall Street. That Wall Street was not a place where people were making insane amounts of money like this, like at least on the level since then. That really started in the 80s, the Gordon yeah. Gecko generation. This is what happened when you had this funny money that people can just play and speculate with. Well, so, so let's, let's rope this back to yes. what the government is. So, you know, we're talking about Owen Schroer, January 6th, and the potential that the government might go after people. But we also have this story from Reuters. FBI finds scant evidence of U.S. capital attack was coordinated. So they basically go through it and they say, nobody. Uh, they say there, it was not centrally coordinated by far-right groups, prominent supporters of Trump, according to their sources, who are either directly involved or briefed regularly on the wide-ranging investigations. I got a text message from someone running against Lauren Boebert. And what do you think they, they told me they were for as to why I should give them money? Ooh, let me, uh, I, I got a text message that said, hey, my name is so-and-so. And this is why you should vote for me. Like, they didn't say it like that. Not like a like, personal text message, like a mass text message. I mean, like, it's like they, it's a campaign text message. Right, right. No, but I'm gotcha. saying not like someone knew you on the this campaign is, and texted right, you. Right, right, right. Okay. So they got my number from a registry mm-hmm. or something. They are running against Lauren Boebert. And what do you think they're they, – they, they thought to themselves, I have one text message to send this guy. Here's what I need to say to get him to give me money. What do you think that one thing was? I really hope it was getting back on the gold standard, but I know that's not going to be the <laughs> Stopping answer. Lauren Boebert. Yes. Oh, my God. We, uh, yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene's accomplice, Lauren Boebert, is, is, is being char, is being investigated, and we're going to stop her. And I'm like, you're not for anything. Yeah. What is this? I was like, you, you're, you want me to donate because you don't like Lauren Boebert? That's not, a, that's not something to vote for. And so I bring that up because what they've been doing with, with the media and the Democrats with January 6th is trying to create some reason you'd vote for them. Negative partisanship. They don't really have anything. That's like if there's a flood and everyone's trying to find a leader to help us through this this great flood that's destroyed so much land. And people are running. They're like, vote for me because I hate floods. Floods are bad. No, no, I'm going to stop the floods. It's worse than that. You're like, come on. What, it's it's worse than gods. that. Give me some there's, tech. There, there, there's a flood. And there's a boating company, and the guy says, vote for me because that boating guy, it's his fault, and I hate him. Yeah. And you're like, what do you know about the flood? Hey, 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 we're dealing with hating right now. <laughs> well, right? well, part of it, I think a, a huge part of it is that what can they really say? You know, what, what could th- – this is why, you know, Hillary Clinton's entire campaign against Donald Trump was, look how awful Donald Trump is. Because what else could she say? I mean, could she sit there to the American people and say, well, look, I gave you guys Iraq. I mean, I gave you guys Libya. I gave yeah. you guys banker bailouts. I mean, what are you not happy with? Here, right? So they knew Trump only exists because people were so furious about what they had been given by the Clintons and the Bushes and Obama. Right? So they can't. So the only play they have is to tell you that this, like, um, uprising against the establishment is so ugly and awful. Look, the worst thing ever is January 6th. Not the country being completely sold out by the ruling elite. That's not the problem. The problem is the people furious about it. And okay, sure, they might be furious about a thing that isn't exactly the right thing to be furious about. Like, I don't know if any, what happened in the election. I My base assumption is all elections are fraudulent, but I don't know what happened in the 2020 election. But if if you just look in general why they got to this level of anger... It wasn't just one election. It was a series of events, you know, that, just, that led to this. I, I think Obama. Yeah. I remember 2008. I remember seeing all of my friends screaming and foam coming out of their mouth. Ah, 
Obama? I was in Chicago. Yeah. And I went down to uh, Millennium Park or Grant Park, whatever they call it. I don't know. The big park. And they had this big screen and Obama speaking and everyone's screaming and cheering. There are people everywhere. And they were like, Bush was nuts. He wasn't our president. It was a victory through the Supreme Court. We were upset about it. Finally, all of these wars are going to end. This was a mistake. We shouldn't have gotten in these wars. It's all over. And then Obama goes, um, going to bomb a Pakistani village. And that was like one of the first orders he gave was the bomb. And then I remember seeing that and I was just like, oh, here we go, I guess. Yeah. That was like, a, that, I, I don't I remember how old I was. I wasn't that old. And I was just kind of like getting whacked in the face. Because I was like, when I was a teenager, I was hanging out with all these punk anarchist types who are like, the system is broken. It can never be fixed. And then I was like, yeah, and then I got older and I'm like, hey, you know, look, Obama, you know, he's doing something like this is going to be the chance to like have some normalcy. And then he's just like, oh, I'm going to drop some bumps. Yeah. And then he did. And then I was like, these people are just all lying. Yeah. He so, actually doubled down on the worst of the Bush policies. Yeah. Yeah. He expanded the war in the Middle East. He mm-hmm. expanded it in the Middle East. <laughs> expanded the, the not only the wars um, uh, drastically. And then also expanded the entire national security apparatus, created the spy. You know, we were upset during Bush about, like, warrantless wiretapping. And Obama was like, hold my beer. I'm collecting every piece of metadata on every American citizen. And I, I, by every metric, by the, the spending, the wars, the impri- everything. The extrajudicial assassinations mm-hmm. of American citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there was something even more devastating about it coming from the guy who was the reaction to Bush. I mean, this is why after Obama you get Trump. Yep. Because you have Bush who everyone rejects. Then the reaction against Bush within the system, everyone rejects too for, for being on the same page as Bush. And then you're like, well, where do we go from here? And they're and telling you your options are Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton. And then they heard the most powerful campaign statement ever when Donald Trump was on that debate stage and it was Megyn Kelly and she said, you've called women fat pigs. And he went, only Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> and then everybody started cheering and screaming. It, and I am joking, but there was something to that. Oh, it was very powerful. He had, he had several that were very powerful. And the reason why that one was so powerful is because he just went, I'm not playing your game. Yeah. Yep. Circumvented the whole thing. That's right. And, and, and what's, you know, you touched on that politics is about being against the other. What's scary about that is how pervasive it is. Cause, you know, you look at approval ratings for the media, super low. Approval ratings for politicians, super low. And then people still keep putting the incumbents back in. It's like, how do you account for that? How do you break that cycle? Because obviously the hate for the other is stronger than the disapproval for the status quo. It's like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Do you guys see that trans anarchist Satanist who uh, won the primary for the Republicans up in New Hampshire? No, and I usually keep up with trans anarchist Satanist. Aria, I think her name is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, uh, uh, it was a point that People just go in and hit R. They would walk in and go, Republican, Republican, I don't don't care who. And so you got to know who you're voting for. Don't vote for someone if you don't know who they are. You can vote for the person you do like. You know, we we talked about this on the show, getting rid of the party affiliation on ballots. Because then people would be like, I don't know. And that's random is probably better than tribal party line. Or another one, they could adopt what we do in the Libertarian Party, which is on every single election, there is none of the above is an option. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. So, the, be so, so, so the, the seat could be vacant? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it, wow. could be, it could be vacant or um, if there was nobody else running, basically somebody, we nominate X, you know, and you just kind of take it from the floor. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to end up with just like President Jimmy, just like some dude <laughs> in the crowd. Like, like oh, no, and how about this dude? And like he just gives it a whirl. Well, do you know what Denmark is? 
Rule by ran- rule, rule at random. That, yeah. Rule at random. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I, w- I remember I had an anarchist friend. We were talking a lot about how this would work and like what it would be. And the idea would be you'd get like Congress duty. You'd be like, you'd come home from work, you're all tired, and you grab the mail, and you go inside, and you throw it down, and then you see a, like, official notice, and you're like, oh, what is this? And you open, it's like, you have been randomly selected for Congress duty, you must report to D.C., here is your stipend, you're like, oh. Yeah. Honey, I got Congress duty. <laughs> and then Honey, go- can you make dinner tonight? I'm a senator. <laughs> All right. I'll be home in six years. <laughs> well, no, no, but it'll be for like two months. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be like, probably be the same thing like jury duty. They'll be like, like they would just go to whoever is like controlling them and be like, I'm absolutely a racist. You don't want me. It'd be the same as jury duty where you just don't respond and hope that they never enforce that rule. I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> no, do but, that. But, but jury duty is different from Congress duty. Congress duty is like you're an American with opinions. Yeah. So, you know, you're here. It would, it would be like you're here for six months. You know, here's quick orientation. And the idea is that a random person with a short term who's not going to profit off it doesn't, doesn't want to be the person walking out being like, I didn't start the war. It wasn't me. Like, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's kind of a fun idea to play with, but I right. wouldn't really want to be governed that way. How about we just right. tremendously reduce, if not eliminate, the role of the federal government and let people be free? You, you don't want to just pick random people who know nothing about politics or sure. governing or anything what, and have them, you know. What about vacancies? Like, what if you could, on a ballot, it would be like Jane Doe, John Smith, and no one. Va- like elect a vacant seat and you could be like I don't want anybody going to DC on my name I that I am all for then that's just like Congress has just like less people there Good. I yeah, think you could that, get a populist movement behind that to be honest yeah. with you. just like, no one in Congress yes <laughs> it's, just, it's I not mean, the worst but the problem then is uh, it's it you know the reason it wouldn't work is because other people would be like now's our chance and they like Democrats being like if you do this and the Republicans have a majority and if there's no one in Congress then the president is unrestrained so I got to admit, I think the system devised by the Founding Fathers is absolutely brilliant when you look at other countries, especially three branches doing different different kind of things. The problem is there was this uh, conspiracy on Jekyll Island. (laughs) The Federal Reserve emerged and all of a sudden nothing mattered anymore. Well, there's that, but there's also the arguments. People forget that there was a big argument as to whether or not we should even have a constitution. And and the anti-federalists, the people who are arguing against the constitution, pretty prescient. Like they, they, they've been, I mean, their arguments, they said that this is going to become a king and through executive order, that is what has happened. One of the problems, uh, if you study Shays rebellion, which was after mm-hmm. the revolutionary war, these, this, the foreign powers wanted to get their debt back from the Americans for uh, the war debt. And, but they didn't, they wanted hard currency. They wanted metal they, and gems. They didn't want paper currency. The farmers only made their money by bartering their food. They didn't have anything. So they normally paid their debts with, by printing paper and sending it off. The merchants that own this, basically controlled the state legislature, were like, "We need hard currency from these farmers because we need to pay our foreign debts." Farmers were like, "We don't have it," so they started putting people in debtors' prison. The farmers basically started going to the courthouses and standing outside with weapons, blocking the the judges from from adjudicating, uh, so they couldn't be thrown in debtors' prison, and it caused massive chaos. The state couldn't get its local people to fight to stop it, so they had to send in state troops, and they realized that. Without a constitution, without an, a centralized authority on taxes, each state would tax their own people individually and, and has the potential to cause massive chaos and disruption. So it's better to have one authority controlling all the tax money. 
Well, but, I mean, if, you, if your we, concern is debtor's prison, I mean, we still have debtor's prison. It's just the IRS now that's well, that enforcing and, it. And now, I mean, people do go to jail for not paying their taxes. That is nothing more than a debt. People also go to jail, by the way, for not paying child support. I mean, there, there still are forms of debtor's I, prison. I will say, though, I think a lot of people overhype the IRS. You, like, the IRS isn't going to lock you up if you owe money. Well, like, that's for, true. But they'll you, ruin if, you. But, I mean... So I know people who have run afoul of the IRS with their businesses to large sums of money. And a guy showed up and said, look, here's what happened with your business. And the guy was like, uh, I'm broke. And they were like, what can you do? And he's like, I mean, my shop's going under. We have no money. And they were like, all right, well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll circle back in a few months, see where you're at, and maybe there's something you can do. It's like the IRS didn't just show up and be like, cuff them, boys. Well, no, there that's have true. Been. I, I know been. that there's – yeah, but I also know people whose businesses have been destroyed by the IRS who have gone Absolutely. back Absolutely. 20 Absolutely. years Absolutely. on guns. them. And yeah, I mean, like it's like – so that that's not nothing. I mean, look, destroying someone's business, as we've learned in the lockdowns, that's not a small thing. No, I mean, right. These are the type of things that break up families, that lead to suicides, that lead to children being scarred. I mean, it's it's a very serious thing. And you're right. I mean, yes, there's not like a massive amount of people in jail for not paying their taxes. But if we want to really figure out this experiment, we could make all taxes voluntary tomorrow. And then we would really find out how many people pay them because they're scared of the threat of jail time. <laughs> and how many people zero, pay them because they don't. <laughs> and, that's, and then we could figure it out. So, so if it would be zero, then what you're conceding is that the reason people pay it is because they're scared of the threat of, of jail time. Bro, bro, so, dude, listen, listen. There's a socialist magazine just fired all its staff because they were trying to form a union. These last few years have not been easy on our economy. And with tax season finally arriving, there will be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them and pocketing profits for themselves. America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-431-5684 and you'll be in touch with America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS's predatory tactics and put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-431-5684. That's 800-431-5684. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Again, 800-431-5684 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Yeah, God, I love it. We we had the Young Turks. The story came out last Mm -hmm. year. Jenk Uger was trying to union bust or whatever, was yelling at people. You've got that that Bernie Sanders supporting woman. Actually, she's right behind you. Nico Lowe. She bought a million dollar uh, condo. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drag the success of these individuals who are progressive. But at the same time, I'll tell you this: I'd be willing to bet those people would not pay taxes if they were given the choice. Yeah, and no, they I, and they would say something like, "Well, this is this is the system we're in, and I'm just you know living the way it's supposed to be." And the fact that they can find a rationalization in their mind to be whatever. I saw one of them where he's like wearing his like you know like eat the rich shirt or something like that and then they show his house oh that was a song today yeah like uh you know i mean it's just like come on the idea that you can justify that hypocrisy again like you i don't hate any of their success i actually admire it um i don't agree with their politics but i admire people who succeed in life and and we should all be inspired by that and learn from that hassan streams like 10 hours a day yeah. yeah, and and so he's. I I looked at his numbers, and I'm like, I think he's probably making three, four mil. I could be wrong, just an estimate. And I got mad respect for that hustle. Yeah, mad respect. sure. And I also, 
don't mind someone being a progressive and believing in higher taxes and, and, and a welfare state and all that stuff and being rich. So, but the funny thing about the Hassan situation, for those that aren't familiar, he's, he's, he's like the biggest political streamer on the left, probably. Mm. He bought a $3 million house. He's getting roasted by socialists. Conservative. So Breitbart wrote an article and they were like, you know, socialist streamer buys $3 million house. And I'm like, I mean, it's a great story, I guess. I don't see the criticism. I don't, I don't know why I'd, I'd care. He's, he's not like advocating for people not to have houses or not be rich. He's just very much for heavy taxation. And I'm sure he's paying 50 to 60% taxes. But the socialists are pissed off. Are they they're, threatening to eat him? Um, <laughs> they, 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 was a, they're, they're getting their, their bibs on and their forks <laughs> and they're like, no, no, they, they're defending him saying that like there's a big difference between Jeff Bezos and Hassan and all that stuff. And I, that's, I, I get it. I'm not going to straw man their argument. Like there's a big difference between Jeff Bezos sure, and a guy on Twitch. Yeah. I mean, I, okay, fine. But you know, if you really have some perspective on, on the issue to be someone who, you know, if you're worth $10 million, let's just say for the sake of argument for this guy, which he's probably at least got a net worth of that much, right? Let's say his, his net worth is $10 million. If you have a net worth of $10 million in 2021 in a first world country, Compared to all of the human beings who have ever existed throughout history, you are a level of rich that is could would be magic to ninety nine point nine nine percent of human beings who have ever existed. They just couldn't even conceive. Kings would have no like no concept of the wealth that you have. Bro. So to say, oh well, I can compare him to Jeff Bezos, and he's not as rich as that guy. I mean, like, have some perspective. You're talking about the rich. You are amongst. The most wealthy, privileged human beings who have ever existed in this, like, meaty flesh balls circling around the sun that we, we live on. We went to a mall, like, two weeks ago, and they have – in when you walk in the center is this, like, you know, 200-foot-tall dome with, you know, this, this beautiful glass and architecture. And I looked at it, and I was like, if a king – from yeah. like the medieval world saw this, he would say, for what God was this built? And yeah. we'd be like, I'm just getting a mochaccino, dude. I don't, I don't know about no gods. Dude, I'm, if, if I, you could be a king in like the 1400s or be you in this house right now, I bet you would choose being you. I got a toilet, you dude. Yeah. You got you got a right. toilet. If you get a headache, you got some Advil somewhere. I bet. If you want to go downstairs, uh, watch something, you go downstairs. You turn on the big screen TV. If you were a king, you'd have to go downstairs and have some dude like d- tell stories for you, and then the stories might suck, and you got to kill that dude yeah, right. and find a new dude to tell you stories. If you, if you want to eat ice cream, they'd have to bring the 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 the, the ice block covered in sawdust. <laughs> And then walk it up and grab the salt and put it in the bowl with the cream and then, uh, like, use the salt ice. And you're sitting there being like, I'm going to have ice cream later. soon. Yeah. And then it's just, like, bland, sweet, like, not sweet. Yeah. And you're like, We've got – we, brutal. We, we got ice cream downstairs. It's made from fungus. That they took this – they genetically mo- modified a fungus to make whey protein. And it legit just tastes like regular ice cream, but it's made from fungus. Kings uh-huh. – would not fathom a creation of wow. such. That's right, and it stank so I, back then too. They don't talk about it a lot because they were all it was desensitized to the stink. Mm-hmm. But like, if you go to Viet, the Vietnam soldiers came back from Vietnam, they're like, the thing you notice the most is how bad it stinks in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And, it's and hot, like hot, and it stinks. The, the point that you're touching on, though, is that, and and I agree, is that fundamentally there is a difference between like a self-made millionaire that worked, you know, pulled themselves up from their bootstraps, and and the corporatists. The problem is, and I know this doesn't apply to like Jimmy Dore and like the, the the better half of the progressives, but the left has become corporatist, and that has been made very clear yeah. with these bailouts, or not? I'm sorry, not the bailouts, the, the lockdowns, because you know who made out on that? 
And who's who's morally in support of the lockdowns? The left. The, this is my thing with like the Hassan buying the big house. I'm like, I'm I'm glad he got a big house. I think that's fantastic. And you know, the socialists who are criticizing him are criticizing him for the wrong reasons. Criticize yeah. the dude because he's an authoritarian. You right. know, he, he's he's pro government yes. mandate. Yeah, criticize what's wrong with his his policies. Now, I think it's fair to criticize the hypocrisy of people saying like the rich need to pay their fair share, and it's so unfair that some people have so much and some people have so little. If you're going to argue like that, if you're going to argue that employers should be paying their their employees a higher wage, well, look, if it, like here's my thing, right? If you're if you're saying inequality is a moral outrage, and you have a net worth of ten million dollars. Well, you can do something right now in the world for inequality by sharing a whole bunch of your money with other people. And so if you don't, I do think there's a level of hypocrisy that can be criticized for keeping all of this for yourself, living this very comfortable life, and then complaining that others don't share let's, their wealth. Let's, let's, let's break this down real quick as to what we're seeing. Hassan Piker works really, really hard. And through his talent and his drive and his passion, he has become extremely successful and made a lot of money. To him, he's like, I know I'm rich, but the real problem is that guy. Right. Below him are the socialists saying, you know, look, we're not wealthy. We're middle class. But that guy, and they're pointing at Hassan. So what happens, you have this scale where the, the poor person with nothing is pointing to the middle class saying, these people don't understand what they have. The middle class people are pointing at Hassan saying, oh, he's exploiting, he doesn't understand what he has. Then people like Ethan Klein and Hassan are pointing at Bezos being like, they're the real problem. The point is, no matter where you are at, they're always pointing at someone who's wealthier than they are saying they're yeah. the problem. And someone it's, in sub-Saharan Africa is like, you're all the problem. <laughs> I have nothing. It's it's the Please. folly of the anti-capitalistic mentality. Yeah. You know, well, that's right. And I think to, to the point Michael was making before, that there is something that – and one of the worst parts I think about the, the last 20 years particularly, but really I guess you could say since Jekyll Island, but is that we um, – we have this crony corrupt system that we call capitalism. Yeah. And so, of course, people reject this because they do know on some level that this is unfair. And it is unfair because the whole system is completely rigged by the powerful. And, of course, that's true. But it's rigged through primarily government policies, bought and paid for politicians, regulatory capture, a whole series of like an entire system that rigs the game. And what Michael, I think, was saying is that there is a difference. Somebody who is just successful in the market, who has nothing to do with government connections, they are, whether you like the product that they're selling or not, the people buying it do. That's why they're buying it. They have made their wealth because they provide a product that people want more than their money. And so they're willing to voluntarily give their money up for that product. The people who make their money because they have some type of government connection, some type of regulatory capture, some type of bought-off politician, they make their money because people are forced to pay them for their product. And that is unfair. And in the same sense that we bomb Iraq and call it Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom, huh. well, I wonder why no Iraqi is going to want to buy freedom anymore <laughs> after that, the, right? The left has gotten away with calling corporatism or economic fascism capitalism for far too yeah. long. And if they just dropped that, they would find out that we're against it too. The, yeah. there, there, there's a great example. Uh, Candace Owens tweeted, BlackRock is buying up houses and they're getting money from the government. This is communism. And then on Reddit, a bunch of progressives posted that and saying, literally capitalism. And I'm like, yo, you're both 
wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the point, pointing at the communists and being like the government giving private institutions free money to manipulate and control the system is not communism. And it's not capitalism. It's fascism. Well, and you yep. can see where they each have enough of a rationalization to sell it amongst their base, right? Because so, so if you just looked at the American system today, it's like, okay, well, Sean Hannity can sell to his base that this is socialism because look how big the government is and look at the deficit and look at all of this, right? And look at the government in- involvement, right? So he can sell this as socialism. And then of course, um, you know, whoever MSNBC equivalent of that, you know, Rachel Maddow can sell it as this is capitalism because look at the corporate profits and look yep. at all right. So they, they each have enough. But what we really li- objectively, if you look at the whole picture here, this is not a battle between the idea that there's a battle between big government and big business at this time. Like, okay, I, I, like we, our government is, what are they going to spend seven trillion dollars this year? They're the biggest government that's ever existed in human history. And look at the size of big corporations. They're bigger than ever. Okay. So clearly big business loves big government and big government loves big business. This is one conglomerate at this point. And what do you call that? Because there is a term for it and it's not socialism or capitalism. That's fascism, Dave. Economically. I, uh, yeah. I want to talk about the, fascism. Yeah. The, the IRS, the Inter- International Internal Revenue Service, been around since the 1862. Looks like, uh, what's his name? Abe Lincoln created it probably to fund the war. Fascist. In 1914, there was like a revolution within the Internal Revenue Service, oddly right after they formed the Federal Reserve, 1914, or right then when they were forming it, and they created the new income tax. Do you guys know? I would love to hear from you guys about the history of the IRS. A yeah. Bit. So, well, well, the income tax. So all of this stuff, right, was under the Woodrow Wilson administration. And yes, it's certainly not a coincidence, right, that right after the year after they created the Federal Reserve. Well, then it's like, OK, well, if this Fed's going to lend us our own money, that we will now owe them back with interest. Well, we're going to need a little bit of a uh, of a, a of a stream of money coming in. And the, the way the income tax was sold uh, was that it was only going to uh, apply to the top top one percent of people. They sold this as a this was during the progressive era as it was known, and they sold this as a progressive measure. So this is don't even wor- listen. This is going to be something that's going to be for the fat cats. The robber barons, it's going to be like 2% of their income. Like, we're going to take that and then we'll share it around with everybody and the rest of us will all be wealthier. This is not going to apply to your average working Joe, of course. It was, they keep that saying was how it. it was they sold. won't stop saying the same thing over yes. and over and over again. They're, they're still, to this day, they still it, use the same. But at the time, it was like, okay, so that's how they got the support and that's how they got it. So we got the Federal Reserve in play. We got uh, the income tax in play. And three years later, we're in a world war. I mean, you know what and the Federal in, Reserve really is doing. It's just their legal way of reaching into your bank account and taking yes, your money. That's, that's right. That's all they do. Right. So as the great Ron Paul, happy birthday again, used to always say, right, the, the real tax is spending. The real tax is government spending. Because when government spends money, what can they do? Well, all they can do is they can either tax the money from you or they can borrow the money, which is just a promise to tax you in the future, or they can print the money, which is in effect just taxing you right now or a little bit in the future because it's just robbing the value of your dollar. So when government spends a dollar, they've stolen a dollar from you. Forget taxation is theft. Government spending is theft. And the reason the like so when we got into World War One, was it nineteen seventeen we got into World War One? Yeah. Okay, so just a few years after this. Then well I know the plan for the income tax was just to be for the top one percent and you weren't gonna but crisis, world war 
So now everybody's going to have to pay taxes and we're going to have to increase the rates. And then, you know, the, the, the crisis will be over soon, except then we have a Great Depression. That's another crisis. We have the Second World War. That's another crisis. And then, oh, by the way, this is just permanent government policy. That well, you, I, I, there, is a, there is a fee for producing something. That you are now – not only is there a fee for you having a job and being a productive member of society, but you lose any semblance of Fifth Amendment rights to not incriminate yourself. You now have to incriminate yourself every year to the federal government because you are already presumed guilty, presumed a criminal by your own government for the crime of being a productive member of society. Yeah, and, and what's funny about that is they're supposed to issue a receipt on what your taxes go for, and of course – you know, you're under penalty if you don't comply, and there's absolutely no accountability for them if they don't. So, it, and what you were saying is, uh, as far as income taxes were never supposed to be for the average wage earner, you know, and then you also pointed out earlier um, that the suspending of gold was supposed to be temporary. It's just that it's that classic uh, Harry Brown quote of there's nothing more permanent than a temporary uh, government program. Yeah, well, you, well, so you let them have a little power. They're not giving it back easy. What ends up happening when they start this is it's just for the rich, it's no big deal, it won't affect you. Well, it's an emergency, so everyone's going to pitch in. Then it's, well, the emergency, we got another emergency. Well, now it's another world war. And then by the time it's, the crisis are finally calming down and you come out and say, okay, you're appealing this, they'll be like, repealing what? Yeah. Well, the, the taxes. What do you mean? The taxes have always been there. Well, right, exactly. Nobody's think about, got a problem with the income think tax. About, you're, you're far right. Right. So 10 years ago, nine years ago, we kill Osama bin Laden. Just, just now we're pulling out of the war in Afghanistan. So is it like, okay, well, goodbye TSA. No, TSA ain't going nowhere, man. Uh, that's, that's the norm now. You're used to that. Don't right. ever believe the, the, the lesson here is don't ever believe there are 15 days to flatten the curve on anything. Cause it's never that. It's never temporary. Yeah. Afghanistan was another one. It was never supposed to be this broad war on terrorism or this 20 year thing. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be to go and get the terrorists that knocked down the Twin Towers. Oh, if you look at the, the AUMA, I mean, the, the language of it, uh, was, Oh, just to go get the people who knocked down the Twin Towers. What's AUMF? That was a, the, the authorization. A-U-M-F. Oh, I'm A-U-M-F. sorry. Yes, A-U-M-F. A-U-M-F. The authorization of uh, military force. So they didn't, authorization they didn't declare for use of military war. Force. Authorization right. for use Yeah, they didn't Jeez. declare war. They, they declared uh, military force for a constrained mission, which was to go get bin Laden and the terrorists. And that's why, you know, Ron Paul actually voted for that because that would have. What is what it was supposed to be, and then he he also tried to issue uh, letters of marquee and reprisal to basically hire mercenaries to to help get yep. these named people, Bin Laden, his lieutenants, but you know, and that didn't happen. And then they they took that inch and ran about and forty fifty miles with it, twenty years with it. Yeah, and and yeah. it should be uh, like noted that and they had countries. look, they had Osama bin Laden in I think even their November or December of 2001 when they had him pinned in Tora Bora and they could have killed Osama bin Laden and they they had forces over in Kabul, in Kabul fighting the Taliban they had forces in the north uh, green berets in the north that they didn't even call into the action the forces on the ground were saying we need reinforcements right here we've got Osama bin Laden we could have killed Osama bin Laden in late 2001 been done with the whole thing called off the entire terror war and man what a better world we're living in if that's what we do. And instead, they allowed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and I really, I'm just speculating, but I lean toward intentionally on this. They allowed him to escape into Pakistan because I'll tell you, look, there's no question that the, the a lot of the people, the forces on the ground were like, there's no, we can block off the, Paki, the, the, uh, the Pakistan border right now and we can get bin Laden. This is easy if you just send us the reinforcements. And they had specifically, the Bush administration had not declared war on Al Qaeda. 
They had not declared war on the people who did 9-11. They had not even declared war on Afghanistan. They declared war on terrorism, huh. on terror. And they had already had plans to go into Iraq on the pretense that he was working with Osama bin Laden. Now, if you kill Osama bin Laden in December 2001... What really yeah. is the motivation to go into Iraq and all of these other wars? You probably lose it. But if he's still out there and he could be working with other people and he could be plotting these things, then you've got 20 years of war. Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com carlson. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com slash carlson. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash carlson. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Do you think if Hillary would have won, we'd be in Iran? I don't know. Um, I think certainly it, it you wouldn't have had the deal the the, uh, the or I'm sorry if Hillary had won I, I'm thinking 2008 you're thinking you're talking 2016 right so if Hillary had won in 2016 I I I think it's likely she would have wanted to push for it the problem with the war in, in Iran is that no matter how many of the um blood soaked monster neocons and I include Hillary Clinton in that list won a war with Iran the actual logistics of doing it are so bad that many people in the military are like, look, we just can't do a war with Iran. Because Iran is a more serious adversary than any of, of the countries we picked on in the Middle East right now. But, they will they will slaughter uh US military members all around. I want I want to pull I want to show people something real quick. We have this map so you can understand because a lot of people don't know the geography. Iraq is just to the west of Iran and Afghanistan is to the east. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it was a coincidence. We said Iraq and Afghanistan what was in the middle and what did John Bolton say he wanted to do? He said, this time next year, we will be celebrating victory in Tehran. Yeah. We had a pincer attack on Iran, but Iran is not Iraq or Afghanistan. It is a mountainous, very well-populated, armed, strong nation. Yeah. But they've wanted to go after Iran for a long time. Did you ever oh, see no that? question. Did you ever see that video from, I think it was around 2003, five, uh, you know, fact check me on that, but of uh, General Wesley Clark, mm-hmm. where he was saying... Prior to uh, them going into Iraq, 
they were telling him, we're going into Iraq, and then the plan after that is to go into Venezuela and ultimately Iran. And he named like four or five countries. Seven. That's yeah. right. Well, seven, countries. seven countries. He, he also included Syria in that list. Yep. I think Sudan was in the list as well. Yeah. No, it didn't play out exactly like the plan that he mentioned, but there was certainly something to that. And you watch that what real what did happen after uh, uh, 9-11 was wars all throughout the Middle East. I mean, wars in you know Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia. Pakistan, they Libya, Syria, Yemen, with Guaido. Yeah, yeah, well, they, they, yeah, a, but not a, you know, not a war like we had in these they other countries. They want to put central banks on all these countries. Yeah. Well, that's, they want to get in there, install the central banking system, get out, and then we won. We've, we've which, unified the world through economics. Which you know? goes back to the, what, I, what we were talking about before is that one of the, the primary weapon here is debt. The, like, the, the, like students, debt, businesses with the lockdowns, debt. You know, credit card debt, like everything is debt and, and, and they're getting us to, to keep feeding them with our productivity by ensnaring us in debt. Yeah, for sure. And that's I'll just say and don't buy. Listen, don't buy their propaganda about this whole thing in Afghanistan. And I hope that people can can see through it. Like, I'm not saying this isn't kind of ugly. Joe Biden's, you know, withdrawal from Afghanistan and that there's not some like ugly aspects of it. But just like take a step back, zoom out and peep game. You know what I mean? Like, see what's going on here when CNN yeah. Is saying this is a nightmare. Oh, this is a tragedy. Well, Joe Biden. Oh, what if he, what has he done? I'm kind of like, wait a minute. But yeah. here's what drives me crazy, right? Is that I see these people like, like right winger types who like I agree with on, on some stuff, not on others, but I see, I see, uh, Charlie Kirk tweeted something. I think it was him. He tweeted something where he goes, you know, CNN saying something and they go, he takes it as a dig on Biden. He goes, man, when you've lost CNN, you're really doing bad. And it's like, no, Charlie Kirk, you got this game all wrong, man. Why did he lose CNN? Yep. Because he ended a freaking war. Yeah, dude. That's why he lost CNN. Did Obama lose CNN when he destroyed Libya? Oh, no, that wasn't a problem. See, all of a sudden, the corporate press has these these deep, passionate, humanitarian impulses. All of a sudden, there's this moral outrage about the innocent people in Afghanistan. We have, we have started wars in about six or seven different countries that have led to millions of innocent people being slaughtered. Not a peep. Out of the corporate press, not a peep as in Yemen, babies are vomiting to death by the hundreds of thousands because of the U.S. backed Saudi war in Yemen. Not a peep out of the corporate press, but all of a sudden they're the humanitarians. The one time we end a war. And when was the other time they became big humanitarians? When Donald Trump tried to end the war in Syria. Oh, the Kurds. What about the Kurds? See through this, man. But do you remember what the media said when Trump fired 59 Tomahawk missiles into Syria? It's presidential. Is, exactly. Beautiful. Is this the time Trump has become a president? That's right. So, so <laughs> well, don't, they, they also don't, cheered the assassination of Soleimani. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Don't, it, it, maybe it's just a wild coincidence that every time it's within the military industrial complex's interests, the corporate press becomes humanitarian. And when it's in their interests, they look the other way and don't care. So that's all I'm saying. Now listen, by the way, for anyone out there, Joe Biden is the architect, uh, the architect, architect of some of the worst policies in modern American history. He is an evil person, and he is very responsible directly for the war on terrorism, particularly the war in Iraq under George W. Bush that he championed and voted for, okay? And he's also just an embarrassing, like, elderly, you know, incompetent person. But this is is not what it appears to be. You were saying something before the show about 
you know, if, if you know, when we plot off a war, they're going to make sure it's bad. Like, yeah. so that people are, in, in the future, they're going to be like, well, if we do pull our troops out of Iraq, I mean, remember what happened in Afghanistan. Oh, you know, yeah. we, we don't know. And so I, I was thinking about this. People need to understand. It's only been a couple presidents. George W. Bush starts a war. Obama takes it, runs with it. Trump says, I'm ending this. Biden then says, I'm going to follow through, which is a good thing. But I, I 100% believe if Donald Trump kept troops at 15,500, Joe Biden wouldn't be talking about it at all. It's because Trump was drawing down the troops yeah. and they were freaking out. And then Biden comes in and he's like, how do we get more troops in? So pay attention now because we can sit here and be like, it's a good thing he's ending this war. But they're sending more troops in already. Well, well, here's the thing. I really do believe, and and I had that attitude too when when Biden first pushed back the the date because Donald Trump organized a he organized a ceasefire with the Taliban, negotiated a ceasefire and a withdrawal date, which was in March. I believe it was early in March of of this year. Biden came in and it said was, it, was, it was supposed to be May first. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. That's right. It was May first. Biden came in and pushed it back to September 11th. I think. At the time, I thought he was just bailing on the whole thing. I was like, he's not going to pull out at all. Um, but then I guess it was just for political reasons to be like, well, we can't, I can't just say I did Trump's thing. I have to do it my own way and make it more, you know, like on a, an important day, right. September 11th. Um, but the reality of the situation is that with the troop levels that we had in under, under Trump and even with these troops that Biden sent in to kind of help with the evacuation process, the, the, the thing is this, right? A lot of people and a lot of people in the corporate press, they kind of create this false narrative where they say, well, I mean, maybe we could just leave the troops in there now, like the level we have now, and it wouldn't be this this unstable. And maybe and, and look, there hasn't really been an American casualty there for like the last couple of years. But what they don't acknowledge is that the reason there hasn't been an American casualty, the reason things have been stable is because Donald Trump negotiated a ceasefire contingent on us leaving. If Biden were to say we're not leaving now and stay in, at this point, the Taliban runs that country. We will need – listen, we couldn't beat them with well over 100,000 troops that Barack Obama had there. So if we want to go back to this war now, it will be a bloodbath unless we're willing to send in another 100,000 troops, in which case we will drive the guerrilla Taliban's back out into the mountains – They'll sit there for another decade, we'll draw down, and they'll come back and take over again. So what do you want to do, guys? So I think that just out of practicality, I think this war is over. I don't think think there's anything they could do that's not going to be a worse disaster at this point. And there's just no public appetite for it, I don't think, anymore. You know, I, I do in the midst of that, though, I do want to kind of draw a distinction between the ending of a war and, and the withdrawing of troops. Because even as the troops were being withdrawn under Trump, Drone bombings went up. Now, the point still stands that as the drone bombings went up, we didn't win the war. You know, it still didn't do anything. So we have to get out completely. And it's at the point now where when you've got, you know, $3 trillion spending bills, all these bailouts and stuff, like Ron Paul always said, um, empires end for financial reasons. And 
you know, we might we not – we might be right on the moral issue. We might be right on the constitutional issue, but apparently nobody cares. Um, we will be right, and we and they will understand eventually on the financial aspect. Can, can well, I just, look, just look. One, one quick other thing, too, is that this is not the disaster yet. Maybe it will be, but it's not what everyone's pretending it is in Afghanistan. No. They're acting like ISIS just seized Western Iraq <laughs> and that they're cutting people's heads off, that the Taliban is slaughtering people. So far, it's like, look, there's some people ugly are things. Dying. Yes, no, there have been some people dying, but I'm saying it's not like the Taliban have been rolling in and just slaughtering everybody. So far, it's kind of like, eh, it's an ugly withdrawal. It's not like some unbelievable nightmare like many other of these situations have been after we've gone in. Chad memes. Uh-huh. Like, they're, they're, like they're on, they're on like a PR. Look, they're bad, yeah. they're bad people, but by the way, so were a lot of the warlords that we propped up to fight the Taliban. Well, let, let's talk about long-term solutions. All right. Now, the Republican Party doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they sit around. You got a handful of people, you know, obviously Rand Paul, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and Thomas Massey is pretty good. But for the most part, what is it? It's speed bump for Democrats. Then you got the Democratic Party, which are just like you know, take and steal whatever you can. And then you've got the the Lolbertarians of the Libertarian Party. Hmm. You've got a lot of uh, we're familiar <laughs> weird tweets, and I've never honestly taken the Libertarian Party seriously, uh, even though neither did I for, for most of my Libertarian life. Right, right. And so then I started hearing more, more, uh, more and more about what you guys were doing. I saw more videos from you. We had you on the show several times, and I'm like, can you guys? You know, build together something that actually functions as a legitimate alternative for for regular Americans who are just fed up. Well, so right there, like what you just said is almost exactly like the idea here, right? That it's like, well, look, we recognize what's happening here. So the the Democratic Party is just so laughably beyond hope at this point. It's now become a mix of the home for neocons, corporatists, and their useful woke idiots. Like that is basically the the Democrats from top to bottom at this point. There is it's like a Cronenberg monster. Yes, there, yeah, it's it's just the it's it's beyond even discussing. The Republican Party has really, I mean, I think we see what it is. I mean, the the rank and file. There are certainly some people there who are really like, and, and I will say, in the Democrats, there are some rank and file people who like Tulsi and Bernie for the right reasons too. So I shouldn't be too hard on them. The rank and file, like voters in the in the Republican base, they really have rejected the neoconservatives. Um, but they both see, hey, if you like Tulsi, well, how's she going to be treated by this party? Hey, if you like Bernie, how's he going to be treated by this party? If you like uh, Donald Trump, how is he treated by his own party? He had to win in such a landslide to even take that thing over. And by the way, I am no fan of Donald Trump, but he was completely boxed in by his own government, his entire presidency. Oh, yeah. The man was framed for treason by his own deep state. So what are really like and 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 the truth is even if Donald Trump were to win and not be boxed in or even if Bernie Sanders were to win and not be boxed in, they're both so ideologically wrong on so many issues that they wouldn't even know the best way to d- take on the federal government. The reality is that what we need is a mass awakening of American people to understand, to all be together on what the problems are. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can agree on the most basic things, which is that the government needs to stop doing the evil things that are destroying the country. And to me, the Libertarian Party, you're right, there are, there are some Lulberts there, 
And there are also there are also some really good people right. in the Libertarian Party. I would say most. Um, I, I was like, specifically referring to the Libertarians yes. as kind of a weight on the Libertarians. Yes, but the thing is that the vast majority, <laughs> like you, you had talked about before, that you ran a poll a couple years ago, your audience, and that the, the vast majority of your audience, not the majority, bi- the pl- biggest demographic, plurality, the yeah. plurality, uh, uh, thought of themselves as Libertarian. Yeah. And there's all these people. The Libertarian Party is way smaller than the Libertarian movement, yes. than the Liberty movement. And so we're like, look, there is this party here. That claims to be about libertarian principles, the beautiful Ron Paul principles that we stand for. And there's way more of us. So if we want to all join this party, we can actually make this a force for the most beautiful political philosophy in human history which is that of individual liberty. And that really does solve so many of the problems that the country faces today. And that's the, that's basically the thing, is that we want to save the nation by destroying the government and the government policies that are destroying the nation. It's a, it's a malice uh, quote from, I forget what podcast, but he's like, I, I hate the government because I love the country. Yeah. You know? now, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to speak to what you said because it's interesting. Like you kind of, in a way – proved his point with you're saying like oh i love thomas massey i love ron or uh, Rand paul obviously we all love ron paul none of these and, and these are the biggest libertarian let's say stars in the in the country that's where all the support is exactly. that but but that and that but the thing is that's important to recognize in that is that that is what the majority of libertarians are like they're more attuned to that so the problem is is that the institution has been captured by a small number of people because it was essentially given away apathy so we're just bringing that movement back into the party to actually represent it which is ron paul. now, now i, I want to say one thing there's a, probably a lot of people that are just like i don't care about politics i don't care about democrats republicans or libertarians to them i say wouldn't you like to see press secretary michael malice just because it would be funny but that's another <laughs> so this is another thing that kind i would of a, well absolutely and this is another <laughs> thing that we kind of as the mises caucus bring to the table that is not currently on the table within the libertarian party which is that the libertarian the libertarians need to become a cultural movement and 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 have something to say there and have have a narrative to write there yeah. and that's what's going to draw people in right now the party is mired in this idea that well we're just here to elect candidates and then they don't even do that so it's like what's your pitch <laughs> and and we are out here so, like for example, we the Mises Caucus, we have, uh, we're we're supporting uh, health freedom rallies. You know, we're supporting like nurses that are being threatened with the mandate. We just produced a documentary following, uh, well, our California crew produced a documentary uh, following three business owners as the lockdowns came in and they were yeah, resisting. Ex- excellent documentary. Yeah, and and um, you know, we're, we're we got an anti war rally going on on nine eleven in in DC. Um, stop the damn wars dot org or end the damn wars dot org, you know, and uh, we're trying to actually get into the culture, and and I would say you are are a big part of that because like where I think libertarians are going to gain the most ground is in the dissident communities, you know, the 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 the, the, the media is not up for grabs, the, or the audience that is listening to the the, the legacy media is not up for grabs, but it's got to be libertarians, and I don't mean big L libertarian like libertarian party, yeah, it, I just mean on the spectrum because even. The problem I have with left libertarians as a compass faction, you you, you need only look at uh, political compass memes on Reddit to understand the problem we have right now. Whenever they make a meme, they show the tankies, the you know the authoritarian communist types in the in mm-hmm. the authoritarian left. They show Nazis in the authoritarian right, and caps in the libertarian right, and the woke in the libertarian left, which makes literally no sense because woke people are dogmatic authoritarians. They it, it's cancel culture. It's do it or else. It's 
we want you to believe our thing. Otherwise, you, you're bad and wrong. That's not libertarian at all. Well, yeah. And, and, and just the, um, the fundamental underpinnings of, say, like critical woke, uh, critical, <laughs> critical race theory. Critical woke uh, theory. <laughs> sorry. That was, but it kind of works. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, like the philosophical underpinnings of critical race theory are completely incompatible with any type of, of, market system at all. I mean, they will actually tell you that meritocracy itself is racist or that uh, um, liberal economies, meaning in the classical liberal sense, are racist. But, but, so, so, but check it out. Here's the thing about left libertarianism. It's co-op, uh, left libertarian is cooperative libertarian, libertarianism. Right is competitive. So the reason why I think right libertarian is outsized is because it's really easy to have a very large system where it's like, that's a fine beer you've got. I will trade you this rock. And then we come to an agreement. Cooperation outside of an exchange of value is very, very difficult. So left libertarianism is crippled. But this idea that left libertarians are the woke, you know, Bernie yeah. Sanders Democrat, that is not true. Bernie Sanders was, maybe. But the problem is, ultimately, we were talking, I think we, we, we talked about this with Vosh, who's a, he's a socialist. We had him on, on our bonus segment. We talked about this. A left libertarian system, like the true libertarian freedom, yeah. is like 10 people on a farm. Who are have agreements and they can solve their problems very easily among each other, but once you try and scale up to two different communities that don't agree and you have no means by which to exchange value and have a, a trade, then you get authoritarianism when one side says do it or else. Right, exactly. So, so what it comes down to really is like, the, like the, by the way, there are some really good left libertarians out there who I have no problem with. And if you basically say if you if you come to the conclusion of voluntarism which many of them do, where it's kind of like, okay, well, if you guys don't want to be a part of this or you guys want to go be you know, competitive or whatever the thing is, which I don't even think exactly describes our type of libertarianism. It's, it's an aspect of it. But that as long as you're okay with that and not forcing other people in, then to me we're all kind of the same thing and you're just putting emphasis on different areas. It's, you it's, can it's, go have your commune on a farm. Nobody's, no, no libertarian like me or Michael is going to advocate for stopping you from the, doing the that. The presupposition is you own a farm, property. Right. Like, how that, did you right, get that and, farm? And that's, did, did you that, take that from and, someone? And, or? Did, did you see the meme? Someone tweeted, what, what, what are you going to do once communism is accomplished? And then someone responded with, probably study a bit more, hang out with my friends, teach people how to, you know, grow food on my farm, maybe hang out on Sundays. And then someone responded with, your farm? <laughs> Have these people ever looked at a communist country? Right. Because right. You, you, you don't own it. Right. It is owned by the greater, and that means everyone is subjugated. Yeah, look, I mean, that type of, that type of system, every time it's been, has tried, has been not just like, hasn't worked out well, it works out really, really disastrously bad. But this is, this is my, this is my, here's the thing, if you truly work, this is why, this is why the left libertarian on, on internet, on, on the internet, and how they portray it is completely wrong, because if you were left libertarian, you would be cheering for right libertarians because you all agree, leave each other alone unless you come to an agreement. So, so when I, when I saw Ron Paul, I was like, works for me. He's going to leave me and my friends alone and we'll go have our little hippie commune and then we can do our thing. A yeah. couple things. In, in my experience, a lot of times left libertarians, like you use the word cooperation. I would argue that free markets are cooperation and they naturally produce hierarchies. And a lot of times uh, left libertarians want to flatten those hierarchies, right. which is just against nature. Yeah, no, I, 100%. So I, I think that's exactly right. So if you think about, say, like someone operating within a, a free market or some type of business or something like that, you could describe it as competition. So you could say right now, you know, you, the, that this show, right, is in competition 
with other shows. And there is some degree of truth to that. I mean, someone is choosing right now to watch this show rather than watching some other show, so you're competing with them. But to just describe what you do as competition, it's like, well, I don't know, you are in a cooperative agreement with everybody who's here to come and do the show, and you're going to come and you're going to do this, and they'll come in, and well, you are in a cooperative agreement with the travel accommodations made for everybody to get here. You're in a cooperative agreement with your sponsors. You're in a cooperative agreement with the people you buy the equipment from. So to me, I see a lot more cooperation than I do competition. It's not that that's not there, but all of it is involved. But so I don't think it's like it, it, well, it's, it's not one or the other, right? right exactly. It's, so so the question becomes like, how are we going to relate to each other? Well, but what, what ultimately my point was the true rare left libertarians who tend to be the politically homeless. Mm-hmm. Should be paying attention to what you guys are doing. Agreed. And yeah, because if we can well, all agree, like we're going to be left alone, we can all you, you, look. Ron Paul said he's like, you can have your own socialist commune within a libertarian system. Why, why aren't you doing it? You know what made me an ANCAP? What's that? Uh, I, I interviewed Ron Paul. I organized a, a rally at every Federal Reserve building simultaneously, and that earned me an, like a private interview with Ron Paul. And I was struggling with the whole thing at that time, and I said, Ron, in a free society. Do you think capitalism and socialism could, like, if, if it's voluntary, like, run parallel to each other? Sure, why not? That was his answer. And I was like, huh. I, I think they have to. You know, it's because if you're born into a system like this where it's, like, you know, competition, cooperation, but then Google has monopolized an aspect of society, how do you use the – got to use the government to break that up, in my opinion. If you guys have other ideas or around that, let me know. Well, I – I think it's 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 the taking away of the free market that's produced that because it's the collusion between governments. So what is the incentive for them to break it up? You know what I mean? They're the ones who are getting that are colluding with those corporate entities. So what we need is more freedom, not necessarily more government busting up of the the uh, corporations. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that it's it's hard to make the case. You know, there's there's this tendency, I think when a problem is very hard to solve and that's not to downplay what the problem is but there's this tendency to say when there's a problem well let's just have government do it like but okay we have all government has done is made google stronger and stronger they like michael was saying they have no interest in breaking google up now if you think the easier thing yeah, to do get is overtake the government get really good people elected there and then break them up in the best interest of the people i i just i i'm Highly skeptical. No, that won't that work. Will, that the, will be able to do free that. Their if, software if, code. Well, yeah, that's right. that's it, right? So what you actually, but what you just like kind of indicated there is you actually want less government control. That you want to actually break their software code, not let them have protection under the law. Yeah. And and you know what I mean. So that like that's my thing. Now a lot of libertarians will make these really stupid arguments that like. Tech censorship and tech monopolies aren't a big problem. You know, that's just the market. That is really stupid. It is a major, major threat. And it's a big I, problem. And let me say also to, to Michael's point, a lot of these things, and this is, this is something that I think is done on the left a lot, right? I remember one time, just quick, very quick anecdote, that Bernie Sanders was criticizing Ron Paul. And he said, this was on MSNBC, and he, they played a clip of Ron Paul where he said, Ron Paul was like, well, what if somebody doesn't buy insurance and then they get in a motorcycle accident? Are you telling me that they just have to beg for charity or something? And Ron Paul goes, look, that's what freedom's all about. You take your own risks, you make your own choices, you can ask for help, but you don't get to force people to help you. And Bernie Sanders, it cuts back to Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders goes, listen, I like Ron Paul, I think he's a nice guy, but that's what he believes. He believes people uh, shouldn't get medical care. 
that they just shouldn't get it. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> Bernie Sanders is a career politician. Ron Paul is a medical doctor who worked at a church and never turned anyone away for a dollar an hour when he was young, okay? So here's the thing. It's nice to just say, oh, government has to do this thing and then feel like the humanitarian in the room. But the reality is that we need to get on the ground and change the culture in a lot of these areas. Yes. A lot of the stuff, and this is what Michael was getting at before, a lot of this stuff with the, the tech censorship is that we have kind of given up on this culture of free speech. Not just, and I don't mean the First Amendment. I mean like free speech, what the First Amendment was alluding to. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hold on. Hold on. This is very important. The concept of free speech as we know it is new. George yeah. George Carlin yes. got arrested for saying naughty That's words. That's true. That is true. It was it was what was it? Brandenburg v. Ohio was that the case? I'm not sure. In the 60s, where we finally said, "Oh, actually, you can yell fire in a crowded theater." That's right, wrong. right. And people have never learned the truth. And you Lenny can. Bruce got arrested too, and that yeah. Something happened in the 90s and 2000s where we were like free speech. Family Guy, South Park, Simpsons. They were just like, we're going to make a whole bunch of off color jokes, and people are going to roll with it and have a good time. And now. So I, I genuinely yeah, and believe. Yeah, to your point, back then, even right in the '90s, they would have those shows like you—you you would see like on those those kind of like trashy talk shows during the day where Springer. they'd have like yeah, they'd have, but, but I mean yeah, when they'd have like shit. they'd have KKK guys come on, yeah. and they'd have like all these guys, and there was kind of a spirit of like, all right, Oprah. I think what you're saying is awful, but let's debate it and let's hammer it out and like let's see what see, you know what I mean. And like, so and this I, I want to I wanted to wrap up that point. What we're seeing right now from the Democrats and the progressives is a reactionary movement. And I mean reactionary yeah. in the sense that they are opposed to progress. They like to claim they're progressives. They're not. And I'll explain. Critical race applied principles hates the civil rights movement. Yeah, Derek Bell has criticized the, the, the end of segregation. This is one of the prominent, preeminent critical race theorists. They do not like the changes that came about. And they want to switch it back to the way things were 50 some odd years ago. They don't like the changes we've, we've gained with free speech. They don't like the fact that with the internet, we got even freer speech and it was crazy. So they are coming into power. They are pro corporatist or you've got the progressives who are just siding with the establishment and they're trying to rewind the clock on freedom of speech and civil rights. In California, they had a proposition in November that would have stripped the civil rights provision from their constitution. And California voted very, very slim, but they voted no. It was close. These progressives and Democrats are actively saying anti-discrimination laws are bad. Ibram Kendi is saying he wants discrimination. This is reactionary. Reactionary literally means they want to oppose the revolution. Identitarian law was the law of the world for thousands of years, and it was only until the U.S. said, civil rights, we're going to enforce this, and it, it was long and hard fought. 
freedom of speech. Only since like the the Vietnam protests and everything have we actually gained real freedom of speech throughout the past several decades. They are taking all of that back. They are authoritarians. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And they would uh, oppose any reform that still keeps the system going because that by its very nature is white supremacy. This is like what the, well, the belief is. So this is this is the thing I want to say about you guys. When you're, when, when, when you come out and you're like, war is bad, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be having these wars. What, what American, for the most part, is gonna be like, I disagree. There's some, sure, the neocon types, I suppose, mm-hmm. but regular working Americans overwhelmingly are gonna be like, I have no idea why we're doing it and stuff. Yeah, and why am I paying them, taxes for this? Most of them don't even know about half the wars. I mean, so most what, of them yeah, don't even the know we have a war in Somalia, Somalia or, or in Yemen. Or they Yemen. don't know about Yemen this. is like probably the worst thing that's happening in the world right now. Yeah, and nobody even knows about it. The greatest they, they, they starvation were, of, of any human it, history and in human history, I think. Wasn't it at least the past hundred years? Wasn't it WikiLeaks that revealed a lot of the stuff with Yemen? The Cablegate stuff? They, they, revealed a bunch of stuff uh, going on in Yemen, but that was, I believe, before like the actual worst of it, which right, was right, right. really when the Saudis well, he, he, went to war with the Houthis. The, the point I wanted to make with this is that m- not everybody's going to agree with everything you guys are for, Sure, but it seems like what you guys are for is what most people would say, hey, that's better than the alternative, and it's at least something for the people. So what does the media say? What is their response? How do they answer what it is you guys are doing? I mean, they'll probably use every media trick that they use, you know, I mean, that that's like, I think, to be assumed at this point, you know, look, when if if you get close to being a threat to to the establishment, you always are, you know, whether it was Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian agent, right, (laughs) a Russian asset or something, and Bernie Sanders was leading a group of brown shirts, and, and Donald Trump, of course, was the worst Nazi because he actually won, right? So... The, but it, I think that Americans are becoming um, aware enough and cynical enough to, to kind of realize and, – and, and this is part of the reason why the corporate press is more and more desperate and erratic and irrational – is that they're losing their grip on power. That people – you can only do this so many times where you call anyone who's a threat to you like a Nazi before people start to, to wake up to this. And I did – I saw a poll the other day that said that, you know – Two thirds of the American people say we never should have uh, should have fought the war in Afghanistan, and that's pretty powerful stuff, man. The longest war in our history, over a trillion dollars, something like a couple hundred thousand uh, people killed. Let me let, let me ask you guys a question real quick, though. How would you rate the current state of the national economy? Oof, bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, like on the yeah. precipice of disaster. Uh, what do you, so? Uh, I love this metric. I've been using it for the past week. Independent voters, the plurality say the economy is fairly bad. Uh, Republican voters, the plurality says the economy is very bad. Uh, in both groups, it's overwhelming majority saying the economy is very bad. Republicans, 73% say it's in the bad category. For uh, independent voters, it's 67%. What do you think Democrats think? Oh, I, I'm, I, don't I already know. know the answer. They, they, it's uh, The plurality says it's eh, okay. The majority says the economy is fairly good. Yeah. <laughs> How is that possible? And I, I bring that up because what I think it represents is there are a group of people living in the matrix. They, the, the media tells them everything's fine. You are happy. Everything's good. They believe it. The Council the media, on Foreign Relations, man. The, the media comes out and says <laughs> the media comes out and says the war is a disaster and Biden looks bad. And these people are the ones sitting there gobbling it all up. It's a coordinated media campaign, that's for sure. Well, to, to answer the question that you said earlier, what would happen, like what would the media's response be if we 
blew up. I don't think we have to speculate. Uh, like, we have some experience with this with, with Ron Paul and, believe it or not, Gary Johnson. Now, Gary Johnson, in my opinion, they used him as a tool. Um, and Johnson, because he didn't have the strength of, of principle that Ron and the courage and the consistency that Ron did, he allowed himself to be used as a tool. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, everyone kind of goes back to Gary Johnson in the whole uh, Aleppo moment. Yeah. But before that, relatively speaking, he was being given fair and consistent coverage uh, by Libertarian Party standards. And uh, then what happened is – now, I, I'm thinking that what they thought is – so conventional wisdom is that the Libertarians pull more from the Republican than the Democrat. That's actually not true. Um, it's, it's pretty even actually. <clears throat> but um, then the polling started to show that he's hurting Hillary a little bit more. <laughs> and 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 that's when the Aleppo thing happened. That's when the fangs came out because you know he was he was peaking at twelve percent in the polling. Yeah. At one point, and and so for for people who don't know how the debate commission works, basically the debate commission gets to pick five polls. You have, and the, you as a libertarian have to score fifteen percent across three of them, and that's what gets you in the debates, which is a friggin' crazy bar. Mm-hmm. And he was actually on the precipice of doing that. It looked like he was hurting Hillary more. Then well, the let's, let's, came out and everything changed. Yeah. But let's be honest. The Aleppo moment was his fault. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You, want, you want to know you want, you want to know how I always explain this? Ask me about Aleppo. <laughs> What's Aleppo? Well, look, look. I'm not here to talk about Aleppo. I, I want to keep it focused on America and jobs. And I think the American people aren't concerned about things like that's, Aleppo. I think they're politician. mostly – I mean the exactly. funny thing <laughs> – And Gary, <laughs> Gary did – But that, that, dude, that's I'll what's kind of sad. Real dude, quick. The, the better one of, of that – or the, I mean like that was, that was a way better way to handle it. But do you remember – this shows you how much confidence and just not giving in to the narrative that you've been defeated is. There was this one moment in the debates. It was my favorite moment in the debates with Donald Trump. This is back when there were all the Republicans. And they asked Donald Trump about the uh, TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And he goes, the major problem in the Trans-Pacific Partnership partnership is that it doesn't address China's currency manipulation. Okay. If you don't address China's currency manipulation, you can't get anywhere. It goes on this whole thing about China's currency. And then Rand Paul just raises his hand and he goes, shouldn't someone point out that China's not involved in the TPP? (laughs) And Donald Trump goes, Rand Paul, why are you way over there? What are you at like 1%? Like you midget or something? And then it was just like this, you just move away from it and you're like, I, I guess Trump won wow. that exchange. I don't know. Like what, even though he was, like you could be wrong and all, listen, Gary Johnson could have been like, I'm sorry, what is Aleppo? And they go, Aleppo, Syria. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, the crisis in Aleppo, Syria is that, but if he had just demonstrated after that, that he knew three things about, uh, about Syria, he'd have been fine, but he just, Kind of started apologizing and collab- it was just bad politics. You ever got? Man. You guys ever? He's watched- a good guy, by the way, Gary Johnson. But yeah, yeah, have you guys ever seen the Futurama episode where they 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 unthaw the '80s businessman? No. So Fry so. Fry's he's like I'm from the era same as you. So he likes him and he invites him into Planet Express and he tells Fry he's like, "What do you do when someone asks about something you don't know? Don't tell me about X. I'll tell you about X. X is not the problem or something like that. <laughs> just like." Politician answers. It's, Something. It's beautiful. I, I actually think the Gary Johnson thing is a really good cautionary tale on how to deal with this stuff because compare it to Ron Paul in 2012. The main thing that they tried to do with Ron Paul in 2012 was block him out and act like he didn't exist. He was getting first, second place in, in uh, uh, straw po- – or well, all the straw polls he was dominating, especially the online ones. But then he was actually like looking like he was going to win Iowa, New Hampshire. And they just they just said, well, first place is such and such and third place is you know, – right, and, right. and just completely wrote him out. But what that served to do is inflame the grassroots that much more. And then yeah. – and, and, and the media can never admit that it's wrong, so it starts this cycle – 
And it's the same thing that happened with Jordan Peterson. You go out there and you say the truth. You say some bold shit that's true. And and then uh, the media wants to destroy you for doing that, for going against their narrative. And then if you just play it right, they will. you will get free press. Trump did it in a, in a, a too, but in a different way. They will just continually – in their inability to admit that they're wrong, go after you again and again yeah. and again and again, and, and and you can, you know, snowball off that. Whereas Johnson, I think, was happy just to be on the media, and and that allowed him to be their tool, which they were happy to do. And then they turned on him when it looked like it wasn't going the way that they anticipated. We, we've got a really simple solution for this. It's just send in Michael Malice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That will always be uh, our solution <laughs> tactically. Whenever in but, doubt, we hit the malice but, button. But, that's the but, thing. but but people need to understand: Michael is a genius. It's yeah. not just about his comedic wit. Smart guy, Michael. We're big fans. It's that he just knows so much. He's got a, a good memory. He's got a good wit. He's got a good understanding of history and philosophy. He would run circles around these people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, that is our uh, that is our ace in the hole. Is yeah. Michael Malice? No, listen. <laughs> but that is also there, there's. There's something to the fact that and, – and I've done a fair amount of, like, cable news shows, and um, there are exceptions to this. There are some, some really smart and, and, like, impressive people in cable news, but they're few and far between. And the vast majority of people on there, it is astounding how little they know, how, how weak their arguments are. I mean, these are people – like, I'd say the majority of people that you see on cable news straight up could not do a show like this. Like, they couldn't do a show where you were just asking them about, like, oh, well, what happened in 1914 or what happened here? Like, they don't know stuff. And I'm not claiming to be the expert who knows everything, but, like, Michael Malice knows way more than, like, 99% of them do. And they may look at him and be like, oh, this guy's a troll and he's being a clown, but that clown is smarter than any (laughs) of you guys. And so, but this is an interesting thing, too, that's different than the Ron Paul days. It's different than 2008, 2012. There weren't shows like this. And Rogan and 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 a whole bunch Patrick, of other big Patrick people McDavid, who are, who are big. Friedman. Yeah, yeah, like these are these are huge platforms that have very in depth, interesting, serious conversations that reach audiences that are actually quite a bit bigger than a lot of the corporate press audiences. And that is a whole new like tool that if we really want to change something in this country, we'd be crazy to not recognize that there's a whole different playing field. And by the way, that's, I think, a big part of the reason why the whole corporate press is freaking out about fake news and why we have to crack down on all these voices. Because for the first time, I think really ever, they've lost their monopoly. Yep. They now yeah. have real competition. <clears throat> there's some university who did like a study or whatever, and they claimed that I'm a super sp- – I, I was a super spreader of election disinformation on Twitter. And I just find that so ridiculous because I my Twitter is just – it's not a serious display of news. It's like I once I once tweeted, you know, what's the greatest band and why is it Radiohead? And then a bunch of people got mad. And then I said <laughs> I said the Foo Fighters are the greatest band of all time. And then people are like, I don't I, I don't use Twitter in a way that. But I guess that's their argument. Aha, that proves it. He just is posting garbage on Twitter that makes no sense. But they put me in the same category as like Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood. And I'm like, I was telling yeah. I was saying those people were wrong the entire time. It's it's this. What I think is with with the smear pieces that come out against me, they're scared of one very very big thing. A lot of these big even right wing shows, they have funding. Somebody stepped up and said, "We've got a ton of money. We can give you money to help you grow." We don't have that. We just have the the people who are members at TimCast.com. So it's literally just 
the people. And we don't have donors that are just like mysteriously giving us large sums of money. It doesn't exist. It's all for the most part. I'll do the Bernie Sanders. Our average contribution <laughs> is $10. And that's making this whole thing possible. That, I think, is a problem that they're not going, the establishment will not be able to solve for. Because like you mentioned with all these other shows, how do you just stop them? Well, they're censorship for sure. So they can certainly excise certain political opinions. But the stuff we're talking about, it's not controversial. People yeah. don't like war and conflict and, and theft and authoritarianism. Yeah. And, and lockdowns and banker bailouts and corporate bailouts and militarized police and the idea of, of the war on terrorism being turned inward against the American people. Even if you, even if you really don't like Republicans, I mean, Democrats, like Democratic voters, wake up, man. The Republicans were the ones who supported the war on terrorism and now they are the targets of the war on terrorism. Do you really want to be the next people who support the war on terrorism you think you won't be the next targets of it too like there are so many issues here and and i think to your point tim even if they were able to like even if they were able to like get you booted off of all media platforms or god forbid something more authoritarian like they you know some real crazy they snatch you up and get and you know <laughs> you throw you in some prison and torture you know whatever they could do they could shut what do they do to your giant audience yep. who wants this type of stuff? But you think you think anyone who listens to this show is then going to go turn on Don Lemon and watch <laughs> him? And the, and I'm not even saying like you know what I mean like it's it's not that like oh my god you're the greatest journalist in the world it's like that you're a journalist and he's not he's a propagandist like that's just not anyone who's watching this show is thinking. They might be disagreeing with everything I'm saying. They might be disagreeing with everything you're saying. But they're thinking. When you watch Don Lemon, it's there to go, fill me with fluff so I can feel like I did my part by knowing what's going on I, in the world. I it's got, not. They're not going back into the Matrix. The people who watch this show or any of the like real awesome. alternative like media stuff. Fo Fox News called me an investigative journalist because I made some phone calls. Don't buy the propaganda. When, when, no, no, no. But, but Positive or negative. Don't this buy is, it. This is how crazy things are. Uh, you know, a lot of these smears against me will say, like, Tim Pool's not a journalist. And I usually just say I'm like a commentator, but I do journalism. I literally fact check all day, every day, and I make phone calls. I call, I fall, I call for comments. And so when the vaccine mandate thing happened, I called the city to get, I tried going to the mayor's office. They don't have, they have like an email web portal. It doesn't, barely works. And so I, I called the city. They said no medical exemptions. I started calling various restaurants. They said no medical exemptions. And Fox was like, investigative journalist, Tim Poole. <laughs> and you know what? I appreciate the compliment or the statement of the work I'm doing. But because these people in media don't do that anymore yeah. to a great degree, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great journalists on the ground in conflict yeah. doing investigative work. There's mm -hmm. a lot of nonprofits that do it. But much of the New York media environment won't even make a phone call. And I'll give you a really good example. Did you guys hear about Mayo Gate? No. no, what was this? So this is probably a bit esoteric for this show, but there was a story I saw go viral because the North Carolina GOP tweeted out a quote from a restaurant where they said, I'm paying $200 more per week in mayonnaise. And they said, Biden inflation hits, you know, North Carolina. Because the Republicans tweeted it out, the left said, there's no possible way someone's spending $200 a week in mayonnaise. They said if the consumer price index is a 5.4% increase, that means they'd have to be spending $3,700 on mayonnaise per week for there, for there to be a $200 increase. This is ridiculous. Huffington Post, Independent, Anyone 100, they all write it up saying something's wrong in Mayo Town. This restaurant accused of lying. You know what I did? I called the restaurant. 
And uh, a guy answered the phone, and I said, I see a quote from you in the in the press that you uh, are spending $200 a week in mayonnaise because of inflation. And he went, oh, yeah, so we go through about, um, you know, uh, 10 five-gallon buckets per week. They used to be $18. Now they're about 36 So, you know, you do the math. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we, we use it for our dressings and our sauces, and it's in recipes. So we, we kind of go through a lot. And I said, what's the capacity of your restaurant? He said, 250 I was like, oh, that's a lot of people for any one time. So you imagine you go to a Sunday afternoon restaurant, there's a 20-minute wait because they're full. You got 250 people. They all get mayo on their burger. They all get ranch dressing on their salads. So that's how much mayo they used. The, these media outlets, if you can even call them that, yeah. didn't even make the phone call to ask. They saw a tweet and said, let's attack these people. What happened? They sent a harassment campaign at the restaurants of people saying, you're Republican shills. You're lying about Biden. One story actually accused the restaurant of blaming Biden when the restaurant was literally just giving one simple quote saying, yes, our prices have gone up. Thank you. It's it's really unbelievable. That story is a microcosm of what needs to be done, frankly. like Journalism? Well, not just journalism, but – you took initiative and you did this one little thing and through that got the bottom got to the bottom of that story and and right now our society is having a, a serious dearth of courage and 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 action so like i if i may i kind of want to take it because what started this whole sprawling conversation was you saying long term solutions like like long term what do we do um I think you're starting to see the beginning of what has to be done with all of these parents going to the school board meetings. Yeah, that's stop, pretty, that's beautiful, man. To stop these mask mandates, but that's the thing, you know. NCRT. We, well, NCRT, and 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 um, but you see, so like the conversation is around the national news so much, you know, and and who's producing the national news story? The mainstream media. Who do they serve? The the government. So like. We're kind of chasing a tail by doing that when really the action is in the states and the localities. Yep. And there is a lot of action going on there. And one person can have an impact by going locally. I mean, a little story just in my personal experience. I know, you know, given the, the, the vaccine mandates and everything, weed isn't the biggest issue here. But, like, I'm just saying, I as one person went to two city council meetings where I live in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Had a conversation with my chief of police. Said, what's going on with decriminalization of weed? And he said, you know what? I, I don't know, but it's time. It needs to be done. I went and got some draft legislation, switched out the city of Lancaster with the municipality of Norristown, gave it to the city council, told them, hey, you guys are all Democrats. The Democrat Party of Pennsylvania has weed legalization in their platform. Shouldn't take me, some random libertarian dude, coming in here and being like, let's get this done. This is a slam dunk. A couple months later, it was decriminalized. There you go. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right that the only place – that you're going to make a real difference politically is locally at this point. The the whole, um, particularly the federal government apparatus, is designed, like, as you're saying, Jekyll Island, right, by design is there to protect the powerful. It's not there in the but, interest of the people or of liberty. But I, I just think that, like, like you said, it's like that stuff that's going on at local levels, especially there's something to me really powerful about the parents showing up to these uh, meetings and just saying we're not taking this anymore. I mean, like, how? what type of level, like, you know, do you get to, like, there's got to be a line somewhere, right? You're Like, I'll tell you, for me personally, I mean, my, my kids, like, my wife's pregnant now and I got a, a two-and-a-half-year-old. So they're a little bit younger than this, you know, being in this world yet. Like, they're still, I, I still protected them, protecting them completely. But the idea that you're going to mask up my child and then teach them race essentialism, um... No. And like, 
like uh, over my dead body. <laughs> like I, I mean, like literally, if there's an, if anything is worth dying mm. over, that is worth dying over. Like you, you know, forget the like, you know, you'll pry my gun from my cold dead hands. Like you'll pry my kid from my cold dead hands. There is no chance I'm going to let allow my kid to be propagandized in the most abusive manner. I just don't know how you know, and it's it's really heartening to see parents standing up against well, that. Well, let's uh, let's go to super chats. And yes, we got uh, we got a lot of people without a good comment. So smash that like button. And I just got to start from where we're at real quick because Gary Talent says, "When are you going? When are you going to rename the show the Michael Malice Fan Hour?" Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we it's can. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, definitely. We'll rename uh, Michael Malice Fan IRL Fancast IRL. It's yes. just we just Fancast sit here and like just it. stand for for Michael. It's got a we, ring to it. Yeah. We 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 quote him more often than anybody else. You know, it's like he's, he's a, a like he's a writer a from like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. You know, well you're starting a network, right? Like you, you could make that one of the shows. Heck yeah. The Michael Malice fan hour. Uh, and then we, we got one. This is really interesting. I, I haven't seen this. Uh, Mitchell Davis says Biden just banned import of Russian ammo. This will cause mm. ammo to skyrocket where no one can afford it. There will be a shortage and companies won't have uh, won't have to compete. Only rich will have it. Gun control. Wow. Hmm. I didn't hear that. You know, there's a there's another story that I just saw related to the gun control issue where, um, again, it goes back to my the states and the localities and everything are, are where the action's <laughs> at. Missouri. The state of Missouri passed a law saying that neither the state government nor the localities are going to be enforcing federal gun control law. And now that's a Supreme Court issue. Oh, yeah. yeah. You told me about that earlier today. That is very interesting. Mm. All right. Trip Sucks says, last night in SF, I went to see a play. Vax cards were checked and matched to people's IDs at the door. Dozens were turned away. No refunds. My family had to literally sneak past the guards to get in. Wow. Also, Hamilton is cringe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were just thinking about this. Uh in New York City, a, a human rights, a willful human rights violation is fined at $250,000. A vaccination card fine is $1,000. Then I think it's 2500 and then 5000 And then I think the 5000 is the cap per violation. So I thought about what would happen if, you know, I just brought some friends who had met, who had disabilities, barring them from getting vaccinated, went to a random restaurant in New York, walked in. And as soon as the person said, okay, you got to show your proof of ID, or vaccine, I'd say, well, I'm not, I'm not actually here to come in. I'm just a legal observer because I've got some disabled people who uh, are going to try and enter. And if you deny them, it's a human rights violation under New York City, state and federal law. I'm just curious to see what what which fine you're more scared of the two hundred fifty thousand dollar human rights violation or thousand dollar COVID violation. Coming in, guys, let's see what he does. I'm, I'll be filming, by the way. <laughs> just like how will the shops react to that? Because the government has put them in a position where they literally cannot escape this. And the important point we, I brought up several times now is these companies have to fire their employees. So now we're now yeah. we're talking about like labor rights. So so listen, if you live in New York or San Fran, New Orleans or Los Angeles, and your company mandates you to get a vaccine, but you legally like you medically can't because your doctor is barring you, then you can take it up with. I think this would be the EEOC, uh, Equal Employment Op- Opportunity Commission. I think what's called, and they handle discrimination. Now the problem is that the local government you may get cult establishment, people being like, we don't care, get out. But if your doctor legitimately says, and, it, and it, this happens all the time, there's people who can't get it, you can't, then it is, in, I, I don't even think it's an opinion, I think it's a fact that you are being discriminated against based on a disability that is not fair and it violates the law. Let's see how these New York businesses handle this. Not to mention, what would happen if like a hundred people tried walking into one restaurant and none of them had ID on them? The whole restaurant would be jammed up and unable to operate because they've got yeah. to ID everybody at the door. It just wouldn't work. Yeah. And so then they, an hour of checking IDs and business can't operate. 
you know what, people? You can't tolerate fascism. All right, let's see what we got. Torin Danowski says, Dave, I just joined the Mises Caucus in Philly this week because of you. Thanks for pointing me to freedom-minded people in Progressive City. Oh, yeah. Go. Well, thank you. And that's uh, that's Michael's uh, hometown. It's, it's uh, close to me. And uh, we're looking into uh, – you guys had Maj Touré on the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Maj has been on? That's my guy, yeah. dude. Maj yeah. is awesome. Um, he's a rad dude. Yeah. And he uh, – at some point soon, he's he's opening up the Solutionary Center. It's like a community center gun range. And the Philly Libertarian Party is looking to start hosting their meetings there. So that should be really cool. Right on. Awesome. All right. Let's see. We got Joseph Groshek says, my company is trying to force me to get the shot. Now, now here's my issue. Doctors are the ones who'd be trying to convince yeah. you, not force you. And so the, the, the challenge, I the, the problem I have with all of this is like, Bro, your manager at your supermarket doesn't know your medical history. Shouldn't be telling you to do anything. So you go to your doctor and you, and, and you figure out we had Kurt Schlichter on the show. He's a good dude. And his doctor is conservative. And he said he's talked to his doctor about, you know, his, his condition, like his, his age and like his risk factors and all that. And the doctor said, I recommend it. And he said, all right. And he's here yeah. and he's fine. But to force people without knowing anything about them, the, there's, there's two big things that I don't like here. Forcing people to out their disabilities and demanding ID. Yeah. Not, 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 not to mention demanding a medical procedure is none of your business. Like, that's yeah, just crazy well, to me. I, I mean, just like the idea of like creating this two tier caste system where not everyone has these basic, you know, fundamental rights to participate in society is, is outrageously creepy. The slippery slope is just unfathomable. Well, I mean, like, it's, it's, you know, you've now got, especially now that Biden's already pushing boosters. So what are you saying? This is just forever now? By the way, COVID's never going away. There will be variants here with us for, it's a coronavirus. It's going to be here with well, us Well, that's only for, because forever. you're unvaxxed, Dave. Yeah, we're, we're, right. We're, real quick, though, there, there's, there's something interesting there. Isn't the Libertarian Party opposed to the civil rights law? Well, I mean, the Libertarian, I don't know what the official Libertarian Party position is, but I'll tell you that the idea of uh, banning discrimination from by private businesses would be in conflict with pure libertarian, libertarian principles. principles. Uh, so the idea that if you own a business, like in the same way that you can discriminate uh, who you want to have as a guest on your show and who you don't want to have as a guest on your show, you could discriminate based on race or gender or something like that. I don't have to agree with it, but I could accept that that's your right. However, this we're talking about the government forcing you to discriminate against a, uh, a certain right. group. And now you're getting into Jim Crow categories. <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, I don't know what other legal president to cite that would That's, be that, forced discrimination by private businesses under now, the law. Jim Crow comes to mind. This, 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 this is interesting. The inverse would actually be actually be if private businesses started saying they were choosing to discriminate against people who weren't getting the vaccination and the government said you can't do that anymore. That's, we're not even at that level. We're at the level where the government is forcing the businesses and yes. the businesses I talked to when I called said, we're sorry, we don't want to do this. We're just following the mayor's orders. Yep. So yes, and, and by the way, as much as I would be appalled and hate it if businesses were voluntarily discriminating against um, non-vaccinated people, although I will say perhaps there could be some businesses where it made sense okay like i i saw like some cruise lines doing it and i i kind of understand where on cruise ships they'd be concerned although this was before the delta variant and we found out you could still get it and pass it along and all that but but i'll just say as much as i would be appalled by that 
I wouldn't support legislating that they're not allowed to do that, having the government force them to not do that. I would, however, say, you know what? You're going to lose a ton of business and just get completely destroyed in the market and for this dumb them. decision and yeah. blast them. I got, yeah. I'm, I'm going to read the Super Chat, but first I just want to ask a quick question for, for some people who, uh, who may need clarification. You guys are not for open borders. No. No. No, it's, it's – the. So here it gets it gets sticky because there's there is a spectrum within libertarianism. So you've got anarchists, you've got small government types, and because of that, it, it creates a spectrum of what is canon within libertarianism. Right. So like, but the Mises Caucus is not for open borders. There, there so, is so, there are probably <laughs> some people in the Mises Caucus who are, and Actually, some people who aren't. No, there's but a lot of people t- in the Mises Caucus who are who are open borders. But our official position on borders is that because there is so the idea of the Mises Caucus is that we focus on the eighty percent that libertarians agree on. The wars, the, the growth of government, taxes, all this stuff, and and not on the stuff that divides us, like borders. Um, and and uh, you know, people can get really zealous about the open border thing. And because there legitimately is a spectrum of thought that's what I would call canon within libertarianism. I mean, just the idea that well, the borderland should be owned by the government versus borderland should be uh, privately owned. That that really creates a spectrum of two different strains of thought. So we just basically. We don't have an official position on that. If you want to, like, if you are within that spectrum, you're cool with us. Yeah. All right, well, I'll, right I'll just say, like, my position on the issue, because I know there are people in the Mises Caucus who are open borders and there are who are not. I am not for open borders, and I don't think that that's the proper libertarian position. The idea that, that, that libertarianism is basically, to me, the, the belief that you own yourself, um, that you, you, you believe in the non-aggression principle and private property rights. That's more or less where you where you get right. libertarianism, free markets, the whole you know philosophy of and peace borders and prosperity. Are private. Borders, are the pro- idea, are the idea that if the government has commons, that those commons should be open to everybody, is not at all deduced from libertarian principles. And the truth is that if the government taxes or, as libertarians believe, robs from the domestic <laughs> population, right? That's that's our belief that it's theft from the domestic population to create commons, then those commons have more of a rightful claim by the domestic population than any foreign population. I so I'm not, I'm not an open borders libertarian. And I, I personally fall on, on Dave's side of that argument, but as a matter of our platform. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Arian Amicus uh, says, thank you for covering the food shortages over the past few weeks. I've been trying to convince my roommate to pitch in for emergency supplies, including mm. food, and it has helped us prepare. You can always go to Safe and Ready Meals. We have uh, SafeandReadyMeals.com. We haven't done a, a promo for them in quite some time, but uh, that's the stuff that we have. Yeah, that's great to have. I mean, look, man, after 2020, if you didn't think maybe it's a good idea to have like some some type of supply of food, for, I, I think you know. I would just say I think it's very wise to do as much of that as you can. A big part of the famine in Yemen is caused by Saudi Arabian uh, airstrikes Embargo. on their water supply. Yes, they, they destroyed dude, their they infrastructure. Bombed yes, like, like to, to be everything. clear, what Saudi Arabia is conducting is, with no exaggeration, a war of genocide it's with the intention of genocide. They are starving the population intentionally, and the U.S. this was launched under Obama. You can go look this up. Google Plake Obama placate the Saudis. He literally said we had to support them in this war to placate them because, you know, we had kind of pissed them off with the Iraq war and the Iran deal. So here, let's and throw the Saudis a bone and and give them a war of genocide. The reason I'm, to, uh, what were you going to say? I, I'm sorry. I, I, to make it even more ass backwards, our original involvement in, in Yemen was under Bush 
uh, as part of the war on terror because they have the uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. It's a huge Al Qaeda cell that that is in Yemen. So you know who the best fighting force against Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula is? The Houthis. Oh and, yeah. So this and, is the and, the other the other like little twist to throw into Obama supporting the war. Which by the way, Trump continued. All four years of his presidency, so don't let him off the hook for this either, and, and made huge deals with, with the Saudis. But yeah, so you have the Houthis fighting against the Saudis, Al-Qaeda on the side of the Saudis, America coming in <laughs> on the side of Al-Qaeda and the Saudis fighting against the Houthis who were the enemies but of we Al-Qaeda. were originally to some extent supporting the Houthis as part yes. of the war on terror and then just like the Mujahideen, it all flipped and – Well, listen, they, that that's the other thing that's so criminal and this really falls on Obama and Trump was a little bit better but not much but, but better than Obama on this is that in Libya, Syria – and in Yemen, he fought on the side of al-Qaeda and in both Libya and Yemen actually funded and armed al-Qaeda. And, you know, a lot of people throw the term treason out, <laughs> but the literal definition of treason is giving aid and, arm, and, and arms to the enemy, yeah. right, during war. And that is what Obama and John Brennan uh, and and as well as, you know, some other powerful people right. are guilty of. Keegan Hodder says, Dave, I know you don't believe in intellectual property and piracy. Tim, I mm-hmm. know you strongly believe in these things. Please discuss. So you don't believe in intellectual property and uh, and and piracy? Well, I don't believe in intellectual property in the sense that it's property. You know, so it's it's not that there, there should be like th- – this is like kind of abstract philosophical stuff. But the idea that like if someone takes your property – you have a right to use force to stop them from taking your property. If someone downloads your podcast or something like that without permission, no, listen, you can make agreements with different companies that host it, that penalize them in some way. But what I mean is that it's not yeah. a property right in the same way I agree that, a, that a physical property yeah. right is a property right. So you make contractual agreements with someone and you protect against that. But no, do I think someone could be thrown in jail for like downloading music? Illegally, no. I don't. We we, yeah. we agree. I, I think if someone steals your property, you have a right to take it back. Right. In some way, if someone, so it's criminal versus civil. Yes, I think if, kind of right, more or less. I think piracy and stealing someone's intellectual property is a civil thing. It's like you take them to court, you sue them, you say, "Hey, look, this was something I developed," and then they ripped it off somehow. And the criminal 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 action could be if they hacked it or something. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a whole different story because right, hacking is kind of breaking into something. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of a different thing. Um, but I also think that you, most of the time, that type of stuff should be dealt within <clears throat> the realm of contractual agreements. Exactly. So I'm trying yeah. to figure out technological solutions. So, like, if yeah. you sold my song on the web, uh, you'd get paid with a cryptocurrency that would automatically detect that I was the creator and siphon a percentage of the payment to the creator right? so that you could have, like, entice a thousand people to sell my MP3s hmm. and I would give them each 1% of every sale. Yeah. So you'd have people, like, organizing huge websites of, like, aggregated music to sell oh, where yeah. they'd be well, making them. What happens? And, and also just that the, the truth is that intellectual private, like, we're all using, like, almost like the most generous examples where we would all be kind of sympathetic. Like, yeah, you shouldn't really take that person's work with that. But the way intellectual property is actually enforced through the law, there are far more egregious violations of that where, like, the the... Like, look, the idea almost in like the most abstract sense, right? It's like if you were on a desert island and you, and you, and you found like some shells and, and you made like a necklace, like a shell necklace out of that. And you're like, well, I worked. That took me like an hour to do. So that's my property. I mixed my labor with the earth, you know, the most Lockean just acquisition of property. That's my property. And someone ran up and snatched it off your neck. 
You'd be like, that person's a thief. I think you have the right to go tackle them and take it back. That's yours. You worked for that, not them. But if you went and made a little shell necklace and then said, I am now the creator of shell necklaces. And anyone else who makes a shell necklace, I own the intellectual property of shell necklace. And now if someone else made it, I'm going to go rip that off your neck because I am the – well, now you're the aggressor, yeah. not the – so that's where like intellectual property gets into this weird area where you can't just – it's a little bit different if you claim something like your podcast or your art or your creation. But you can't just like – the idea of just creating a product and then claiming that you own all future ones is a little bit all off right. to me. Zanzibar says, I was raised Democrat, swung right during Trump, but embraced libertarianism when I found the LPMC. I've never wanted to join a party more. Dave Smith for president. There you go. That's a rumor. (laughs) That's a rumor. I haven't heard it. (laughs) All right. Serp YouTube says, you need to have George Gammon on the show. His recent video on Bitcoin was excellent. He's held events with Ron Paul and G. Edward Griffin as the headliners, and he's also open to traveling. You could also ask him about the suit against the Federal Reserve he's embarked on. Ooh, I'd like to hear that. That all sounded like an excellent recommendation to me. You know the greatest thing about wokeness is? What's that? Well, there's, there's two things. That you need to understand first is get what go broke, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fact that the Federal Reserve has been embracing woke policies. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, oh man, I don't know. Maybe hey. the Federal Reserve <laughs> getting woke. What does that mean? <laughs> the Fed, the CIA, yeah. they, got, they got a lot. The Fed going broke without loosening up legal tender laws would be ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to have G. Edward Griffin on the show. Have you worked with him before? No, I mean like I've I've watched you know a, a bunch of his videos and read a bunch of his stuff, but I've never. Would you like, want to inter- come on the show with him? Yeah, dude. If you can get G. Edward Griffin on, I'll yeah, absolutely, dude. I'll come on anytime with him. That'd be yes. Good. I might be able to help you with that. Oh, yeah, good. let's okay. do it. That yeah, sounds great. He's, he wrote the book on Jekyll Island, right? Mm-hmm. Creature from Jekyll Island. Yeah. Creature from Jekyll right. Island. And he also, I mean, he's been like, uh, he's been at it forever, man. Like, he's, yeah. been, he's been on top of this stuff. Ruben Pedroza says the real way to make change in government is to enforce term limits or elections for all bureaucratic positions of power. Fire the deep state. Yeah, what do you guys think about term limits? I mean, I, I personally don't think it would make too much of a difference because it doesn't change the inherent incentives. It just shortens the yeah. time frame on them. I think I think that's true. I think it actually might uh, even have more perverse incentives. You know, like where you could have someone like, it's like, well, you got a short little time span. You better cash in right now for all the revolving door value you could get, you know. Um, but I also think that it's like all of these solutions almost presume the victory. So, okay, we're going to enforce term limits on all bureaucrats and all politicians. Well, how the heck do we do that unless we already have control of the entire government? Right. You know what I mean? Like, so, so what's the step to get to there? A lot of people always want to have these silver bullet solutions, but the truth is that what, what we really need is to wake up a lot more people. Otherwise, none of these solutions really work. It's cultural. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. exactly. Culture. 100%. All right, Weefy says, you are missing the depths of Hassan's hypocrisy. He told Sargon in a debate two years ago, quote, profit is theft, Sargon, to say that, then buy a $3 million house. Ah. I'm going to stop right there because I ain't going to straw man Hassan. When the left says profit, they don't mean the simple money you make off your labor. What they're referring to is when a CEO gets paid $13 million a year, and then somebody who actually makes, say, the bottle of water... They sell the bottle of water for $5, extract a dollar from, you know, uh, f- to go upwards towards a position somewhere else. The, the, the general issue is scale. So whereas we talk about free enterprise and capitalism in a way they don't understand and they need to, if I build a birdhouse and the materials are 20 bucks and I sell it for $25, I have a $5 profit. 
Hassan is not referring to that $5. He's saying, oh, but you made it. You're entitled to sell it. It's yours. They're talking about hospitals that have board board members who don't do anything, just absorb money. And so their view of it is, if you are in a position as like a, sh- a shareholder or something, and you're getting dividends and profits, but you're not doing any work, that's the profit they're talking about. So you can agree with them or disagree with them, but I like to steel man their arguments and then have the argument. Fair enough. Yeah. But I think you guys are very much in favor of if you own the business and hand it off to somebody else, you can take the money, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also wouldn't suggest – I mean, look, again, like what what has to be made clear is that we live in a system and an economy that is completely – um, you know, it's, it's nothing but a big cartel scheme and the rules are completely rigged for the powerful. But if we're just talking in theory in a voluntary free market or something close to that, the idea that someone who's an investor did nothing, I mean, no, I don't think they did nothing. They invested in that company. I mean, go ask someone who's starting a company how important investors are. They're really, really important. And you know what? If you don't have them, the whole thing doesn't get made. So I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't think profit is, is evil in any way. In fact, I think it's a sign that a company is doing really well. Yep. So. John says Hassan also said he uh, also has even said he couldn't do more in-depth analysis of videos without hiring more people. So his hours of streaming is not an actual hustle. I disagree. I mean, being on camera for ten hours a day is work, man. He does it almost every day. I respect. He's that. on for ten hours a day. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's a hustle, dude. I'll say that is impressive. Uh, and I I don't think we need to straw man our, our our political opponents or rivals or people we disagree with. We need to always be like, here's the best they have to offer, and let's prove it wrong. So, look, I would, I, I say, if you're truly for the cause, you would invest in it. Hassan is an activist. He's a commentator. He's a, he's a progressive socialist. He chose to use his money for a $3 million house as opposed to a $3 million advocacy organization. Now that's fine. He doesn't have to do anything. And he says, he says that you just don't see the advocacy work he does because he's not pushing it out there for a PR campaign. And that's, that, that may be true. But I'm just mm-hmm. like, a three million dollar house in West Hollywood, you could move to Pasadena for a fraction of that cost, for a seventh mm-hmm. of the cost. So if you want to have that big fancy house in West Hollywood, you are choosing to live in the upper echelon of the wealthy ultra elites. That I think is a fair criticism, but I don't think we need to that's criticize it. the fact that can he's I, working really hard. Can I tell you? Uh, he made a video trashing me once. And uh, he, he strawmanned me pretty bad. And then I made a video yeah. back smashing him. And uh, I kind of – now that I know he does 10 hours a day, I take a lot less offense to it. I'm like, <laughs> well, he's got to come up with something, man. I mean, he's doing 10 sure. hours a day. Yeah, you got to bang out whatever you can. Hey, look, look, the left strawmans. And yeah. they, they – No, but you're they, right. They, that, they doesn't establishment mean we, lines. that doesn't mean we need to. So that's like that, – that's a good point. And especially if you're right. If you're right – like if you're right, you don't – you shouldn't want to censor other pe- – I don't mean right wing. I mean if you're correct, right. you shouldn't want to censor other people and you shouldn't need to straw man other people because you got the truth on your side. He's said some really awful things in the past. Yeah. You know, about like Dan Crenshaw and about 9-11. Mm-hmm. But, you, but people always try to bring that stuff up and I'm like the reason I don't bring up people saying dumb things in the past is because it's not a political argument. It's just you – you're. it's an ad hominem. It's like look at this guy. He says dumb things. I'm like probably – I say dumb things too. Yeah. No one should really be judged. No one should be judged over the worst thing you said. There should be some amount of like a charitable grace that it's like, well, let's judge you on like kind of what you stand for over your, you know, like the the body of your work, not just like this one sentence or this one thing you said. That's like kind of gotcha nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not perfect here. I rag on people. I try to avoid being super mean as well. I used to like really be offensive with my jokes. 
back when I was like 15, 18. Yep, it was all too. about like impressing my friends and using the most racist, just joke, just terrible. And yeah. then I realized in that was back on Monday for me. Yeah. <laughs> I realized in college, I was like kind of broadened to a larger, you know, sect of, of humanity. And I realized that it was offensive to other people that making humans the butt of jokes isn't necessarily the best way to do comedy. So I kind of changed the way I, I don't just know don't do the woke comedy where you make fun of yourself. Yeah, don't do All that right. either. Let's read this one. We got a good one. Brett Stubb says, Dave left off a huge motivation in the history of the IRS. It was also to do away with old bank notes from local banks. You could only pay taxes in the Federal Reserve note. So it was also for consolidation of a single note. Yeah, well, there's there, there's definitely something to be said for that. That's, that's a very interesting point. But of course, yeah, that is true that it really strengthens kind of legal tender, right? Because the only thing you can pay your, your taxes in is, right, what, Federal Reserve notes. So right. there you go. Cody says, Tim, I'm coming up on the one-year anniversary of my father's passing. It's been a harder time than I've ever faced before. You and Crowder have been my favorite therapy. I love all of you. Keep it up. Hey, man. Sad, awesome. sad to hear uh, about your father's passing, but uh, thanks for being a fan and watching the show. And I'm I'm glad that it's uh, it's been helpful. Yeah. We're just some dudes who hang out and talk stuff on the internet, and we have friends over, so you know we do our best. F the magician says you are the means of production, Tim. Individuals are. This is another thing I brought up in the Hassan thing in my earlier segment because it was actually pretty long. I, I have way more to say about oh, it. today. But, yeah, I did. Uh, I ended up doing like a half an hour when I normally do the twenty minute segment, but. Hassan bought a $3 million house, which in this capitalist system, even with a welfare state, I think is fine. But in a socialist system, because he brought up the word socialism, the house is the means of production. The ability to have a big, when you're in the media, you know, we have, we're in this big house right now with multiple rooms and different studios. The house is the means of production that people have a space to work. It's akin to a factory. We've got a bunch of different computers. We've got tons of computers. So the computers are the means of production. This microphone is, this keyboard is, that camera is, and the house itself is the factory. So in a socialist system, I don't think poor working class people, the proletariat, would tolerate a $3 million mansion. I think they'd be like, you are producing web videos by yourself. Great. You're not exploiting anybody. But that building should be open to others to do the same thing. And when you are not streaming, your camera and computer should be available to the public to use the means of production that you use. I, th- I think that's what socialist proletariat. That's definitely would want. how pure socialism is goes wrong. Well, well I mean, course. but it is. But in a sense, it's not just how it goes wrong. It's the logical conclusion, yep. right? I mean, it is the logical conclusion. I mean, look, these are by definition means of production. You are producing things through these means, and you are generating all of this this stuff through it. And so, why should you? Not like if you're not going to look at it through the respect of private property and ownership, well, then why shouldn't this be for the benefit of the, you know, quote unquote community? I think a lot about socialism, big S and small S, like socialism, the government style, big S authoritarianism. The big A authoritarianism is like the government style. Then there's authoritarian with a small, like an ad, an adjective and how you can weave socialist, small S or authoritarian, small A functions into a democratically republic system. And still have it function even better than if you hadn't woven those. Right. But I guess, I guess what frustrates me at times, um, and like even with the, the conversation we were having before about left libertarians versus like our school, they call right libertarians, I don't know, whatever, Mises, I think Rothbard, Ron Paul, libertarians, whatever you want to call that. I don't, I don't care if you want to call us right libertarians, like that's, that's fine. I'm not like offended by it, but the, it's like 
So tell me the the distinction, which I feel like left libertarians always kind of beat around the bush because the idea that like, well, you can have socialism here or lowercase s socialism. It's like, yeah, no, no one in our libertarian school is ever denying that you can't have a, a co-op. Well, Go have your co-op. There's right. co-ops all over the place. Go have your co-op. Do everything you want to. The, the idea that you can't buy a, a, a plot of land and turn it into a commune, of course. Go. No this, one's trying this, to stop like, you from doing this, that. This We're this libertarians. Is, this so is exactly what, my point. Right. Like, left libertarianism cannot scale past one community. So with left libertarians, I always say hippies on a farm. You know, it's like Ian sitting there and he grew some mang- you know, mangoes or whatever. Made, made, he made bread. Ian made bread. When I walk in the kitchen, Ian goes, yo, I made bread. You want some? He doesn't ask me for an exchange. It's just, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, right, right. Tim, you okay. got the flour. I made the bread. I made the bread, though. So without me, you wouldn't have the bread. You'd only have the flour. And then we just openly share. Like, Ian can take the flour whenever he wants. I'll have some of the bread whenever he makes it. What happens, though, when the neighbor walks over and walks up and takes the bread? Yeah, it's like – and you see each layer, it gets a little bit more like maybe that could work if you're real close with your well, neighbor. But then right. what about another neighbor? And, and what then about all another? of a sudden right. the guy from down the street comes and, and we don't have any arrangements with but, him and you can't just manifest one. And so then when I'm like, stop taking my bread and he says, you don't own the bread, I'm like, we're going to use well, force to stop Well, now we got to go to war, basically. A mini war. You know, so right. so that, that's the idea of – A feud. Left, left libertarianism <laughs> exists in very, very small random pockets. There's one very famous commune of 100 people where it's very well organized and it's a commune. Uh, when one person announces they're leaving, they go to their waiting list and then invite one person. Hey, this person in two weeks is gone. You will come in. We'll teach you the rules. Sure. Everybody's equal. We have a farm and it functions. People w- desperately want to go there. And it exists because they're not in a system that mandates they give their stuff to the government. They're allowed to keep it. Their commune retain, retains the private property. Well, that's it. Right. So, exactly. so my point right there is that it basically scale. it, but, but so my point is that if even when you're say doesn't scale, the only way this is workable is under our private property exactly. system. I agree. So you come back to being us. So, so my point is that <laughs> you're just one of us who wants to live it, on a commune, just, which is fine, but don't. So unless you're, if you're calling that's it this point. other thing, right, right, exactly. It doesn't work or it turns into some other thing. And if you're not that, they just explain to me the distinction. That's right. why That's why I said, as much as I disagree with Ron Paul on a lot of policies, he's always said, I'll leave you alone. And I'm like, great, can I can I, do my thing. I'll, can can I, I tell say. you, I was a, a left winger before I found Ron Paul in 2007. And that's when I, 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 he really, I found him in the Giuliani moment where he called Giuliani out for the real motives of terrorism and the evils of the U.S. empire. And I was like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then I started reading all of his books and reading a bunch of other libertarians and I, I was converted. Uh, after looking at first when I was starting to read it, I was like, I got to read this libertarian stuff to find out what's wrong with it. Like I was going to read it to like disprove it. And then along the way somewhere, I just got converted like they were better. Uh, are, but my thing with that, what you just said, is why I really thought in my uh, silly, naive young mind that I was going to be able to convert a bunch of leftists because I go, this is there's such a good pitch to the left here. Is what I thought because I go look if you embrace libertarianism and reducing the government like drastically reducing the size and scope of government then look you end immediately all the evil things that you hate now this is during the Bush administration so like wars you know they were really against the wars at that time and the war on drugs and police brutality and all of this stuff that the left is really hate and look all that other stuff that you guys love like welfare and taking care of poor people and any type of this tough stuff like socialism i go you can have all of that you just have to do it voluntarily you know like so so you can have that you guys just got to come together in your own voluntary community and then you can do all of this so isn't this the perfect compromise pitch 
to the leftist. You can you can get rid of all the things you hate and have all the things you love. You just have to come do it voluntarily. And um, yeah, that that was not as well received because as they, I thought. And I've, I have actually persuaded a lot more right wingers than left wingers, which I was surprised by. They're mostly authoritarians who just yeah. want stuff. Yeah. So my view was always like this, you know, Ron. And they Paul, want it quickly. Right. Ron Paul comes out and he says, I believe we got to do this thing and that thing and this thing. And I'm like, I don't agree with those things. And then he goes, and if I was elected, I'd leave you alone so you can do your own thing. I'm like, you got me. Yeah. I'm going to have my little farm and I'm going to have my hippie friends and we're going to be left alone. Dude, Ron Paul said this once and I think it was in – God, I can't remember if it was the uh, 2008 or the the 2012 campaign. But he said – he he said this thing where he was like basically like, oh, there's all this excitement. He has like tens of thousands of people around him and he was like, so now people are asking what's going on here? You know, like what do you stand for? And he said my foreign policy – he goes, I would describe my foreign policy as the following. He said – I don't want to run the world. I don't know how to run the world. The Constitution doesn't give me the authority to run the world. We ought to mind our own business. And I would describe my domestic policy as the following. I don't want to run your life. I don't know how to run your life. The Constitution doesn't give me the authority to run your life. We ought to respect individual liberty. And I always thought that was just the most powerful honest and humble political message I'd ever heard. That really the message is that anyone who's telling you they want to run the world or want to run your life, first off, does not have any moral or legal authority to do so and, and also just doesn't know how to do it. We got, the only honest thing was to admit <clears throat> that you don't. We have a good one. C. Hennessy says, Dave, serious question. If you were to be president and Taiwan was attacked, would you honor our agreements to assist? Well, what do you even mean by assist in Taiwan? Look, man, we got to, like... Uh, I hope Taiwan is not attacked and I root for freedom of people everywhere. But we really got to get over this empire mentality that we can do something about. Like, what do you want to do? You explain to me the logistics of what are you going to get military in there and start fighting a hot war with with a nuclear armed power like China? And then what? We're going to like start just blowing up cities all across the world and then still not be able to stop them from taking Taiwan? I mean, like, at a certain point, Americans got to, like, take a slice of humble pie and recognize that, look, we just we just lost to the Taliban in a 20-year <laughs> war, okay? You think we're going to take on the Chinese on their territory? How about there's one problem that ever exists that's just not our battle to fight? I root for them. I do not want to see them fall to China. I don't like the government of China. They are a creepy, authoritarian quasi-communist, quasi-fascist government. But what do you think we're going to do, man? Like, what, you you actually think, Nukes. like, yeah, like, you want to go to a nuclear war and lose, what, Seoul and Tokyo and maybe L.A. and then we'll, we'll blast three of their cities and then after all of that we still won't be able to get the forces in to save Taiwan? Where has this Sorry. worked out for us? Yeah, really. World War Two. Yeah, it was a, a, a stunning <laughs> success. Only 60 million dead, right, right. you know? You want another one of those? All right. Jesse Meek says, the thing I like most about Shimcast is the diverse people you bring together. Amazing discussions. Please give a shout out and consideration to a few other amazing tubers. Liberty Doll, Guns and Gadgets, Good Patriot, Philosopher, and Patriot Nurse. Amazing people all. Hmm. I would also like to shout out Seamus Coglin, the host of Shimcast, yeah. who hasn't been with us for a week or he so. He quit the show. We took it over. Yeah. We, we kept did, the name, We did though. a joke when Seamus was here. <laughs> oh, we I love Seamus. Uh, Freedom Tunes. Yeah, yeah. We changed, yeah, he's the best. We, we changed the image to say Shimcast instead of Timcast. <laughs> okay. And then he <laughs> introed the show. It was funny. Seymour <laughs> Max says, Tim, I've lost track of how many times you've mentioned the Mises Caucus in your videos. I think it's like seven. 
This is much needed. Go watch The Fight Has it's, Just it's Begun. It's six. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, I think I was just keeping track the whole time. It yes. was six. Just watching it intently, watch just it. like, uh, The Fight Has Just Begun, a Mises documentary. Is that what it's called? That's it. Yeah, they just put it out. Yeah, it was a documentary of like the struggle of the Mises it's, Caucus versus the the other LP people in Pennsylvania. It's very inside baseball yeah, for for people who are like into the LP. First thing, of all, but. shout out to Doc who who did the super chat. Um, but yeah, it's a documentary we put out. Like he said, it's a little bit more inside baseball, but it gives you an idea of uh, what we're facing inside the party in order to red pill the party and and you know the tricks that are being pulled and all that kind of thing. So. If you want to get kind of an insider view of the kind of things that we're dealing with, that's a good thing. And if but, you like, if you if you like what you're hearing in this conversation, go to takehumanaction.com and help us. You know, help take, us. Red takehumanaction.com is the place to go and understand what we're doing. Just to be clear, is that we're bringing the liberty movement into the libertarian party. We're bringing that real Ron Paul libertarian energy that's serious and facing the, the about you know the real issues facing the country. And we are also in the process de-wokifying an institution yeah, for it, perhaps the, only. the first time in history. I'm not sure there's ever been an institution that, that went sh- woke and then has been de-wokified yeah, what, and we're about to do that. Yeah, I don't, Shaking off progressivism I think might be historic. Yeah. And also uh, Angela McArdle for chair of the Libertarian Party. Absolutely. That's coming up this next year, right? When's the convention, Michael? It's uh, May. It's Labor Day weekend, so May of 22. May of 2022. Angela McArdle, she's awesome. She's going to be the next chair of the Libertarian Party. And, uh, we, yeah, check her out. We got some critics of Hassan pointing out. They say, Hassan, uh, Ultranaut says, Hassan leaves for hours and lets others' videos go. Red Dragon says, Hassan ah. is on camera for 10 hours but only talks for one. He's inflated. JXE is right about everything. Hassan watches videos and occasionally says yeah huh okay Sounds well there you go so he, I, I watched right, that I could videos. do a little bit more I just don't understand why would you even want to do that I don't get it it's a hot topic because yeah. you build up a big stream the longer you stream the more people come the more this money is, you make he, he's on um, what's the thing Twitch? The, Twitch? Twitch the video game stuff right yeah well right. they have Good just chatting now Okay. All hey, right. man, look. I'll bet dude. you thought OnlyFans was only for porn. Mm-hmm. Not anymore, bro. <laughs> Not anymore. That's I, all I, done. I think even if you don't think he's doing that much, like, he's successful and he figured it out. Yeah. And I think you're allowed to be progressive and leftist and still be rich. The issue, I suppose, is, like, if he was arguing that people shouldn't be allowed to be rich at all, yeah. which I don't think he does. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we can argue why his ideas, his ideas are bad, but I think being like, ah, oh, you bought a house. It's like, eh, come on, man. You're yeah. not, you're not winning an argument by ad hominem. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, but I do think, leaving, leaving Hassan aside or, or whatever, but I do think there is something to be said for like, say, Bernie Sanders, you know, when he becomes a millionaire and then like, you know, like itemizes his deductions to if pay you his little your own taxes. Book, you can be rich too. Yeah, like there is something about that where it's like, dude, you were, you just spent 30 years attacking millionaires saying they should pay 70% taxes. You're paying like whatever it ended up being like 15, 18% and then giving like two or 3% to charity. You, if you really believe that, I, I don't think it's too much to say. Lead by example and say, okay, look, I'm only paying twenty percent in tax, but I'm going to give another, you know, forty percent away to charity because I really believe that no one needs this much money. And that then I, then I would at least, I'd still disagree with you, but I'd at least like take what you're saying seriously and be like, hey, that guy's got some real principles. Mm. When you got two or three houses and you're making millions of dollars ragging on the rich, that's like, eh. Yeah. yeah. I just don't like hypocrisy. But I do like capitalism and I like success. So I don't hate him for the success. 
And that's the funny thing. The people who are ragging on him for being rich are left, not right. The right are like, well, yeah. oh, wow, congratulations on being rich. Like, man, that's and the sweet left house. is like, why are you rich? <laughs> you. The, the thing I said is like, if, if what, what should he just keep his wealth a secret? Yeah. Should he not buy anything with all the money he's got? He's probably making a couple mil per year. I, I think to change a society, you need to be super rich. Like if you look at the American founding fathers, they were super rich. And like I've lived my whole life in this like p- this pious or whatever like charitable state where I don't want to get rich because I don't like this system and I don't want to involve myself in it. But it's ridiculous. You yeah. want to be like Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos controlling swaths of industry, then you can implement your political change. But well, it's, it's about it's, it's yeah the, the work you do and what you build up that gets you to the point where you have control over systems. That's yeah. true too. Because if I had like six hundred billion dollars, it'd be different than owning Amazon. Yeah, well, look, right. it all it all depends on exactly what you're after. I mean, all of these things are kind of like you know they're different forms of power, um, and they're different forms of of influence. But if you you know um, being you, you can be very, very wealthy and, and use that in certain ways. You can uh, be somebody who's very respected and admired and use that in certain ways. You can also just be a really great father or friend or son, or th- and that can make a big difference in an individual's life. So there's all different ways to kind of, like, shape the world around you. But, yeah, there's no question that, like, very, very rich people – have a disproportionate amount of influence. That's a good but, point, though, about the attention economy and the value of people knowing who you are and respecting you. Because oh yeah, but, but money can't yeah, buy you, that. You, you still need some modicum of of broad support or public support. Because like, look at Bloomberg. Like, look at all that money that he threw at his election and got laughed yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. There's something there. There are there are um, things that are maybe um, like unmeasurable commodities in a sense, like uh, like respect. You know what I mean? That like there's not everyone can buy. Like well, Michael Bloomberg has a lot more money than Ron Paul does. But I'll tell you, Ron Paul, like he's not spoken of the way that well, Ron Paul is amongst people who really admire him. And, you know, so well, the- just the same way that freedom and responsibility are axiomatically the same thing. Power and competence and responsibility are axiomatically the same thing. Well, and I think you or could they argue... Should be in any, well, in any, yeah, in any, well, yeah, I, yeah, perhaps they say, should be. I should say they should His, be, yeah. Right, because perhaps things, things really start to collapse when they're not uh, axiomatically linked, right? So when people have That's power and don't have... Yes, exactly. Yeah. We, we, we've got a leghorn chicken that lays mm-hmm. double yolk eggs. And so we, we, we... I saw your chickens. I think I know which one it is. <laughs> it's the little one. No way! Yes. The little one? Yeah. Oh, that's not who <laughs> I was going to go with. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy because the eggs are massive and they're double yolk. So I'm thinking, like, we want this one to have babies, right? Because we oh, like yeah. this. Because when you see something being done right, so now I'm thinking about it. Is the Paul family propagating? Because we need more little yes. Ron Pauls. They've and if had, not, can we build robots and download Ron Paul's brain Man. into... Rand oh, is pretty incredible. I Rand mean, there will never be another Ron Paul. Ron is Ron. That's but true. Rand, Rand is... And I, I will say... I was playing different games. Yeah, well, That's look, I was, I was very disappointed in um, Rand Paul's 2016 campaign. And I like heartbroken about it. I, I really had high hopes for him. And, and he just didn't continue the Ron Paul thing but I also do think now in hindsight looking back at it that it was a little bit unfair like I was comparing him to who like my greatest hero ever was <laughs> yeah. just because he's his kid and yeah. ne- if if I never knew about who Ron Paul was and you asked me about Rand Paul I'd go I don't know he's just the best senator ever <laughs> and like yeah. so so right. you know what I mean it's like right. to be fair and and he really has look man through this whole 
Like he was great on so many different things, like the Brennan filibuster and a bunch of other things. But through this whole and, COVID and the thing, AA filibuster. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was great on that. But through this whole COVID thing, he's just been nothing short of heroic. Absolutely. I mean, what he's gotten Fauci on tape saying oh, and just man. backing him into these corners and getting him. It's like almost the perfect trap where he gets Fauci to say these things. The next day, all the blue checks are like, Rand Paul owned. Two weeks later, the CDC agrees with Rand Paul. You know, like it's just <laughs> perfect. And I, we all owe him. Definitely, for, yeah, for definitely. That. absolutely. We uh, we'll do one more, one more. Uh, so smash that like button. This one's this one's very important. And smash the like button. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jeff. Trying to just Dave. really take your time. You with you, you you must. We we command you. I'm it's, just kidding. It's not enough to passively watch this video. You <laughs> must actively <laughs> smash that like right. button. Thank you, Joe. All right, Angela McArdle says, Mike. Awesome. How do people become delegates for the Libertarian National Convention? Ooh, oh, that's right. Angela McCardle. Yeah, that's that, is, that, is that is our future chair awesome. being uh, at work on that stream. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> question, <Yeah>. Angela. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of that. <laughs> so what people need to do is you need to join the Libertarian Party. But what's, what's more important than joining the Libertarian Party is joining your state Libertarian Party. Mm. So if you live in Michigan, you need to join the Libertarian Party of Michigan. Pennsylvania, the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Um, and then there's also your county level parties. So you want to get active there. And now it differs state by state, but ultimately you want to join your state party. You want to show up to your, uh, state party convention, whenever that might be and get elected. But this is why you got to go to takehumanaction.com because if you go to that, we have 230 organizers around the country. And, and if you sign up on the email list on there, not only do you join our email list, but you get you get hooked up with our organizers. We'll bring you in. There's a whole network. They can help you become a delegate. Right on. There you go. Perfect. And that's how you're going to get everybody to start taking over the party and changing the world or whatever it is. Yeah, come Change on, man. Change your town. Look, dude. Change your town. Yes. Even I know. I know you've said it like a bunch before, and it's part of the reason. And I understand we're all in this in this position of like, look, man. Like, I don't know what the best option is to do this or that. But you've talked about it, you're like, look, the Democrats are a nightmare. 90% of the Republicans are a nightmare. Maybe there's a few good ones here or there. The, 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 li just, the libertarians who run as Republicans is their only way in. That's well, what that, it is. well, right. But then you just look at this and you go, man, I don't care what's happened over the last 16 months or even the last 20 years. This is the United States of America, and we deserve better than that. These, these two parties have basically committed, in effect, treason against the American people. Yeah. They have sold us out for their own interests, many times foreign interests, Okay, in effect, they've committed treason against their own people. What are we supposed to do? Keep choosing between these two parties on which type of of, of you know treason we want to deal with? Why, why the American people, the United States of America, deserves better than that? Can, can, Let's give it to when, them. When, when we talk about Press Secretary Michael Malice, mm -hmm. we're talking about in a presidential campaign. But I'd like you to I'd, I'd like you to imagine an actual press secretary in an administration walking up to the podium in the White House. And then calling on journalists and schooling them better. Like, it's Kaylee McEnany times 100. You know what I mean? Just mocking them ruthlessly <laughs> well, and I, then giving them a history lesson. I actually have another. Can you imagine how good Michael Malice's press secretary will be? I have, I have to do this just for him. <laughs> I, have another, I have another link on the Malice uh, tip, actually. Malice at one point said that if, they, if the party would do it, that he would take the keys to the Twitter if the party would do it. The party ain't going to do it. But... If you want to, if you want to make, it, well, you can, you know, like me and you, we're saying we got to put public pressure on these these That's companies the forcing the mandates. You can go to maliceforlptwitter.com and sign the <laughs> petition, and then we can go and say, hey, there's ten thousand people. It's like wait, half wait. the party. Malice for LP Twitter. Yeah. Dot com. 
No, no, that's that is legit. Like mm-hmm. getting an actual, uh, getting someone of that talent to run the Twitter account yeah. would be PR gold. Exactly. Make sure it says "run by Michael Malice" in the description, yeah, so people can go sure, to his yeah. personal page too but, and know and, what's going on. And, and I also wanted to add another point about like what you were saying about with the Republican Party in 2012 when Ron was running. There was Rasmussen polls showing that the only Republican candidate that was winning in the polls against Obama was Ron Paul. Yeah. Wow. That's right. I remember that. And and they went with Mitt Romney. Oh, <laughs> they, they, made, they went with Mitt Romney. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, I li- listen, I'm not saying I understand it's 2021. It's not 2020. Uh, it's not 2012. And I got to, like, move on from that. But for, for all the right wingers who understandably are just furious at everything that the left wing has done to the country. You do have to understand that you had an option in 2012 to vote for literally Thomas Jefferson, a better version of Thomas Jefferson in Ron Paul, and you chose Mitt freaking Romney. Well, so, and we I mean, like, <laughs> like grapple with that. If you, Now, if you're young, if you're like 20 and you didn't vote in that election, okay, I'll let you off the hook. But if you are a right winger who supported Mitt Romney over Ron Paul, then you just like... You don't get to complain about anything. Well, and forget, you had your chance. Forget the politics for a second. We've spent a lot of time talking about how this whole thing is a cultural battle that's manifesting itself through politics, right? So, and we also talked about how the, the, we're going to have to cap, capture the counterculture. Forget the politics. You're telling me the Republican Party is that going to be the counterculture? Begin their ass kicked culturally for sixty years. Yeah, you know, You're right? So, like, You're I think right. in, in some ways, I think because it's a cultural battle is why we have to go through the LP because. We can actually build our own culture, build our own narrative, build our own stories, whereas the Republican Party culturally is hated by half the country. That's right. No, that, that, that's, that, that's true. Even as bad as the Democrats are, you look at the polling. Like I go to civics. The Republicans are disfavorable more. You know yeah. why? Because Mitch Republic- McConnell. No, no, because Republicans are sick of them. Yeah. So with the Democrats, it's Republicans and independents who are like, the. The Democrats are like, yeah. The Republican Party is Republicans and independents being like, ugh. Is this yeah, what we get? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. All right, we'll do. This is the last one. Angela McArdle again saying, "I will give Malice those keys." Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. That so is- if Angela is chair of the party, then <laughs> she has the authority to give him the keys. So everybody heard it right there. You want Michael Malice to to have the keys to the the Libertarian Twitter handle? All you got to do is get Angela McArdle voted in as a uh, 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 get her elected as and the chair of the party. If you want to understand why, if you're not familiar, we've had Michael on the show several times. You got to follow him on Twitter, and then you'll start to bask in the glory that is the perfect <laughs> trolling of Twitter and. The, the just it's 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 glorious watching him go after these journalists and and, and all that good stuff. He's a brilliant writer too, a brilliant yeah. writer that's was born in the Soviet Union and and saw like government's gone too far from a very yeah. early age. So when he talks about anarchy, he's really doing it from an uh, an erudite place. And he's yeah. he's also uh he's he's an excellent writer, not just in the fact that he's like a super smart guy and he knows a lot about history and makes really good arguments, but just his his like prose and his technical writing is just very enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. It's something I really he admire. Is. As a very as a very crappy writer, I really <laughs> admire very good writers mm-hmm. and um he's he's an excellent he's, writer. He's got great range because yeah, you can go on Twitter and and see and laugh at him trolling yeah. people and it's just it's glorious. But then you can like watch say for example the the lex friedman interview when he's talking about his what his grandma had to go yeah. through and, yeah and, and started crying and no, he's like, got oh he's God. got a like incredible range and all yeah. of that stuff and like i said a great writer by the way if i ever write a book and it's well written 
Michael Malice wrote that book. <laughs> Just so you know, I did not write that one. I did not. All right, everybody. It's been a blast hanging out with all, all of you on Friday night. Smash that like button. Subscribe to TimCast.com. We've got the, the vlog is picking up steam. So we actually had a midweek episode. We went to a rock store and bought crazy fossils and giant quartz crystals, and it was a whole lot of fun. So go to YouTube.com slash CastCastle. You know why we're doing the vlog? Because we've talked about how we can't just keep making content that is like, oh, the news is bad. The news is bad. So we were like, let's make something good and fun with chickens and the dogs running around and the trampolines. We're having a good time riding motorcycles, just trying to make something that can like lift your spirits and show you some pretty trees and stuff. And then we're, we got a couple more shows. So we're doing some uh, um, rehearsals and screenings for the new mystery show. We got a D&D show we're working on where it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Dungeons and Dragons, again, to make culture, to inspire people. To make it so that people aren't just watching nothing but negativity. We're, we're taking that revenue from all of you guys as members and we're putting it right back into making more and more stuff so that you can watch it and enjoy it. So thanks for all of that. You can follow us at Timcast, uh, Timcast IRL basically everywhere. You can follow me at Timcast. Do you guys want to shout out, uh, social medias? Oh yeah, at Comic Dave Smith on Twitter, uh, The Problem Dave Smith on Instagram. And, uh, part of the problem is my, my podcast. Uh, so go check that out. So for me, it's uh, I'm not the biggest Twitter user, but uh, Mises, at Mises Chair on Twitter. Uh, we also have got the, the Facebook group, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. And then the big thing is join that email list, get in touch with your organizers, take humanaction.com, and uh, help us decentralize the state. Right on. I'm also uh, – that's awesome. That's a good one. Decentralize. Uh, hey, uh, my, my name is Ian Crossland, and you can follow me at iancrossland.net. I, I just want to show you this is Quartz it's Crystal. So cool. This is one of the pieces that Tim procured at the uh, at the gem store. We got we got quartz nice. because it's um, this thing's incredible. What's quartz? it called? Piezoelectric or something? Piezoelectric. Yeah, piezoelectric. It means that when it vibrates, it produces an electrical charge. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how the watches oh, work. Cool. They just use the quartz. It's going to be really. Yeah, it's It'll crazy. be like the future of uh, electrical generation in a lot of ways is piezoelectricity when you can tap into the vibration of the uh, the vacuum itself. We're going to get back to how we made the pyramids finally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there might be something to that, but they were <laughs> giant batteries. Yeah. I don't know about that. They're just <laughs> – cool. it's, it's what it's people aliens. could figure out how to build. Let's stack up a bunch of rocks. They, <laughs> they put gold on the very top, which is a yeah. superconductor. I, mm-hmm. so, okay. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's I, find, I do find all of that stuff very interesting. Right on. <laughs> so if you're going to have a couple hours to go deeper into that. No. <laughs> no, no, I won't do it. Sorry. No, but in the new show, definitely. Right. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. Super awesome. I'm also here. Thank you guys all so much for tuning into the first episode of the Michael Malice Fan Hour IRL. I hope that you guys will tune in on Monday. I'm not sure how much of a Michael Malice Fan Hour IRL it will be that day, but it's going to be awesome then as well. You guys may please follow me on Twitter at Sour Patch Lids because I am approaching Sour Patch Kids and followers. I'm excited about that. And uh, we got Steve Bannon next Tuesday. Yeah. Wow. So we wanted to follow up because uh, he made some predictions about schools and what the parents were going to do. And I think he was correct. Mm-hmm. He said the parents were going to flip out. So we're going to follow up with that. And then we'll obviously follow up with some other, you know, uh, political issues. But that's going to be on the members podcast because YouTube would ban us if we talked about those issues. But, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see how it rolls out. And uh, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all then. Bye, guys. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.